Welcome to another edition of Collector's Quest. On this episode, we are talking to Dennis Kahn. That's the founder of WADA, the grading and certification company for games that just had that huge Mario sale. He's a friend. He's an expert collector. He's been collecting forever. He knows a ton of stuff. And we're really excited to sit down and talk to him. Uh, the format of this episode was a little different since it was an interview with four people going on. So I'm kind of leading the discussion a little bit. So the guys are just kind of filling in at the back. So that's no one's being silenced or pushed down. It was prearranged. So um, we tried to let Dennis do most of the talking, but you will hear me kind of driving that. So sorry if that puts you off, but uh, a little bit different than our normal round robin conversations. Anyways, it was a great conversation with Dennis. We're going to have him back on and uh, he's going to talk to us about all of his merchandise. We'll talk to him as his IG account. That's Super Ness Man. So we'll have a whole separate episode for that that we'll do down the line. But this is strictly covering the WADA stuff, the Mario sale, all that good stuff that has uh, set the community buzzing. Anyway, stay tuned for that. Before we go on, same thing I ask every time I do this. Look, you guys have been great. We've got a bunch of new reviews, and I, I super appreciate that. And if you haven't already left one, or if you're a new listener and you're enjoying us, please go ahead and go to iTunes or wherever you listen to us and just give us a good review. Even if you don't write anything and just give us the five stars and then put nothing in the comments, that helps the algorithm find us and gets us out there. And that's the best thing you can do for us right now. So thank you for that in advance. Stay tuned for the show. everybody welcome back to another episode of collector's quest we have a special episode today i'm really excited i have been talking about possibly doing this episode forever i i'm joined by stefan and tyler hi guys hey johnny hi but our special guest is dennis khan a a super collector and uh also dennis what what did we bring you here to talk about today why don't, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh the group you represent Absolutely. Well, I'm honored to hear that this is the special episode. I feel so special. Um, you are a special individual, Dennis. <laughs> well, as far as I know, we're here to talk more than myself about Wada Games, um, which is a company that I co-founded with uh, some other individuals. And um, just the state of the hobby and some of the services we provide... I hope that we'll get the chance to talk about all the collecting uh, stuff on a separate episode because that's what I love. love yeah, I, sorry, I'm not trying to walk over you, but yeah, I, I do want to talk to you. If you guys don't know about Dennis, he is Super Ness Man on Instagram. Please go find his account if you haven't already. He has an amazing collection, and I've been I've been a fan of Dennis's collection for a very long time, pre-Instagram, when it was just a thread on Nintendo Age called, like, show us your collection or something, and you had to scroll page by page. I was like, who's this guy's collection? This is amazing. <laughs> and that's, like, what I was looking at. And then when I find, like, we'll go into, like, when you started and how old you were when that picture was probably posted in, like, 2006 or whatever, 2004, uh, <laughs> like, what, 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 and, like, uh, you know, almost made me kind of uh, 
um, shit myself because I was so surprised. <laughs> so yeah, that, I mean, to be frank. All right. But um, so tell us like a little bit about you. So you are you still a collector? Oh, absolutely. I'll never, I will never not be a collector. Okay. And, and honestly, what do you, you know, collect though? What do I collect? I collect video games, obviously. Um, grew up, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, always been collecting since I was a kid. Well, that was me too. Whether it was uh, comics, uh, crazy bones, Pokemon cards, business cards, that was my favorite. I thought I could get them all. Um, <laughs> I still have like bundles and bundles of business cards uh, from when I was a kid. I, I don't know why. I love those. Um, but yeah, video games is, is what I grew up with. It's my passion. It's my nostalgia. It's everything about it does it for me. When I'm working, I'll listen to video game music. It's, 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 that's the world. That's the thing that stirs that emotion and does it for me. So it started out just, you know, cartridges and finding all this information out of that. I never grew of stuff I never grew up with, but um, it turned into quite an illness, I gotta say. And so I think you're a you're a couple years younger than me, even. And what's your favorite console to collect? What's the what's the one that you gravitated towards? Um, well, I, I you know Super NES is where it all started for me. Um, that is so correct. That's partially. You say why that's I correct? <laughs> like that's the right answer? Yes, that is, that is the correct yeah. answer. Yes, that it, is the correct it, it answer. Is the correct Super answer. Nintendo it is, is the correct, correct answer. Answer, I do agree. But at the same time, the, the I guess you call it irony, is that I gravitated as a collectible to NES, uh, which I say is ironic because that's far before I was born. Even Super, I'm like the N64 generation age-wise and stuff. Um, but and obviously I played, you know, Super Nintendo, N64, etc. Pretty, pretty much stopped at Wii. Um, actually never bought a console after that. I probably shouldn't share that publicly. Oh, you're one of these no, shelf th collectors. Don't okay. even play the video games, huh? <laughs> I do have a PS4, <laughs> but I like played. I don't know. FIFA. Netflix on it. You play Netflix. Is that what you play now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's the the collectability of NES and just the history of it and everything about it attracted it attracted me to it. And the I guess even more ironic part is I started collecting Super Nintendo. And it's like one of the few Nintendo systems I haven't completed collecting-wise as a set or that I'm the furthest away from, at least. Branched out from, you know, I, I focus on Nintendo. You sold off all my Genesis stuff at one point. Not because I wanted to necessarily, but because I just wanted more Nintendo. Really dove into Game Boy, boxed Game Boy, and, and that's God. I don't know if you guys have tried to collect Game Boy, but it is tough. Yeah, super it's... reasonable, cheap price is easy to find stuff, so. You know what I like? I like <laughs> that no matter what Game Boy game you want, you can always go on eBay and find it. Complete in box. Totally <laughs> fine. That's oh, what I like yeah. about Game Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I wait, I tell you, I waited two years for some to show up once on eBay. Um, and it's just been, it's been tough. It's not the same, too. Back in the day, I, there, like Amazon was a great resource. You'd buy stuff for cartridge price and it'd show up sealed. Um, but it's just, you know, my activity in collecting has dropped a lot, obviously, ever since WADA. Just um, haven't had as much time. But yeah, always collecting. And then as you guys probably know, 
uh, displays and memorabilia that's been my niche. And that's what? <laughs> yeah, you know, Stefan, you only have like a bunch of stuff. I'd probably you know kill you in the night for <laughs> um, if, it were, if it were legal. If it were legal, yeah. um, that's why I got the cameras. Just in case we have the purge, I know you're coming straight for me. <laughs> I, I'm getting that power glove sign for me one day. But <laughs> um, the displays, I, I gravitated towards those after I got my first one because, you know, I think such a big part of video game collecting and what makes it stand out from other collectibles is its displayability. Um, you, comics are flat, you know. They, a lot of people's comic collections are literally just long boxes. How fun is that to look at? Um, a coin collection is in a drawer, you know, but with a video game collection, you can do something with it. You can make all that art pop out and put them or arrange them in all sorts of different ways. And the displays lend themselves to that too. And it's, it's, you know, a piece of history there something that was hanging in a store that you look at and it takes you back to when you went to that store. So, uh, that became this really, uh, deep, dark path that I started heading down and, turned into having this massive display collection of lights and cabinets and signs. And, um, that's what does it for me though. When all that stuff is lit up, I mean, I want, I like walking into a game room and it's, we're visual creatures, right? So seeing the lights, hearing the sounds, that's what takes me back. That's, that's what taps into that nostalgia for me. Yeah, you would, so, you would hate uh, my game room. It is lit up by a single incandescent bulb right now and it is completely dead in here. <laughs> Uh, and Dennis has been in my 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 game room at my office. Not even a game room. Uh, it's a like a completely sterile environment, uh, you know, where games just sit on shelves. Stefan's room looks like a. I think if uh, you had to choose a room, I think you would like Stefan's the best. And you've been in Stefan's room as well. Yeah, he's been here. Yeah, Stefan. Yeah, I mean, any any collection, it's always a treat to see how everyone displays their stuff. But whether it's yours or whether it's Stefan's, Tyler, I haven't seen yours, but it, the games lend themselves to the display, displayability, that aspect of it. And you can, everywhere you look, there's something to treat your eye to. You know, I'm, like I said, I don't, you know, have Genesis stuff in my collection. So to see a full Genesis set, it's like I can sit there and just look at every game and be like, wow, I, for, I forgot. I haven't held one of those in my hands for a while or something, you know. Or or Stefan's beautiful power glove display, so I could just look at that for hours. <laughs> okay, so like you've you've given us a a nice uh, trip down to like how you got into this and and how you feel about. It. But how old were you when you decided to make the flip? I mean, I know you were like you probably were collecting other little things here and there, but like, what was your age when you went straight into like video games is the thing? This is it. Yeah, it, I was around twelve. Um, and I had just gotten my first uh, computer at that time. It's like, uh, whatever. And um, I, I actually kind of vaguely remember the day it happened because I was looking through my little bin of like Super Nintendo and N64 cartridges um, and probably like, you know, 30 from both systems combined, 25 maybe, uh, maybe even 20. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot. But I was looking at them and like putting them in like categories with some of the PS2 game, you know, putting the gold, the James Bond games together and being like, this, these are like cool. I wonder if there's any other, you know, James Bond games out there or any other, you know, Mario, whatever Mario games or whatever. And I went on the internet 
and did a little research, went on YouTube, I think, found some channels, and like that day, I was like, wow, this is a lot bigger than this little tub I have. And I started, I, I think the first game, I, I bought a game off eBay, it was a Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Oh, good choice. Yeah, loose card. <laughs> the best Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more catered to me at that age, you know, than it Pro- would have been Probably it was. That's fair, yeah. But um, yeah, that that's how it started. And then really shortly after that, I found Nintendo Age. I found this guy, Penguin, Justin, uh, a friend on, on YouTube. He had videos and it just got, it just, you know, rolled, steamballed, whatever you want to say, like a snowball. Is that is that where your uh, desire to collect displays came from? Like, did you? Because he's a display collector too, right? No, no, he's not really. He has he has some stuff. My my desire for displays was just the first one I got, which was uh, you know, and and it evolved to where, you know, by the time I was fifteen, I was like, it was like pretty much a full time job. I was like a power seller on eBay. I was in school. Anytime I'd get a chance, I'd go to a computer. And just try to make deals on Nintendo Age, go to Craigslist. I was probably going on a Craigslist pickup, you know, uh, if not every day, every other day um, after school. That sounds questionably legal. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to, how did you not get murdered? Well, here's <laughs> yeah. the thing. Until I was 16 and could drive, uh, and this is such a critical aspect to my collecting experience, was my dad's support. Um, and not, not financially, like he, you know, would help me out here and there. But tiny little things, I, and, and every time I'd be like, hey, can you loan me a little bit? i got to buy this. I promise I'll pay you back. I'll sell it. But he was a, he's a comic collector. So he understood how nev- the, the one thing he always wanted as a kid was for his parents to support and care about his, co- his hobby, whether it was his Elvis cards. He's old. He was born in like 47. He, um, he never had that. And so all he wanted was to be able to give me that and, and share that passion I had. So I remember like the first Craigslist meetup he drove me to, it was at nighttime in a Home Depot. And I bought, uh, I think it was 30 or 40 loose NES cartridges for a buck 50 a piece. And that was like a lot of money for me at the time. Like I was spending 75 bucks or something on that. And it was like, you know, I had maybe like $150 to my name. But I bought those, and then and then from there I started doing the whole reselling thing, you know, cleaning, reselling, and uh, it wasn't long after that that I found a lot. Luckily, with that stadium events in it, where I have that photo from when I'm like 14, and that's kind of how I got a name on Nintendo Age. I was still Pyro 129D before I transformed to Super NES man. Um. <laughs> and the stadium events transformed you. Well, yeah, when yeah. I found you, you were already Super NES man. And, uh, you know, your icon was obviously like that Superman and it was just the two display cases and the Nintendo sign hanging over it. That was like the first picture I saw. I was like, who is this guy? And then I find out you're like 14. I was just like, get the fuck. What? (laughs) Why? I'm like struggling. I'm like, I'm so old. And this kid has stadium events already. I'm never going to get there. I still haven't. And I made the decision that I don't want to get there. It was definitely, it was definitely a lucky start. Uh, especially cause like, you know, it was this Hispanic guy and he's like, Oh man, there's something really rare in here. And I'm like, if it was really rare, why did he, I don't understand. Cause he sold everything for, it was $2 a game. It was like a hundred games for 200 bucks. And, and I don't know. I was like, yeah, yeah. I like rifle through them, but I did, but at, for the price, we already kind of like agreed to it before. And it wasn't until I got home that 
I, I, I looked, I saw it, and I was still new with collecting and knowledge and all this, but I, I recognized the game. And I was like, it's the PAL. It's got to be that PAL version I read about or whatever. And I ran down. And I, there's a video from it, actually, that I posted on <laughs> my, uh, my Instagram. I'm sure you guys have seen it where I'm just like wide-eyed and in shock. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good for for people who haven't seen it. It's uh, it's a nice moment, even though it makes me sick to my stomach. As, <laughs> as a as a collector, you're just like, ah, the jealousy is real. This is what it feels like. <laughs> Johnny, I'm sure you've had. We've all had our crazy finds. Oh, you just no, had. We all to have the best one you could have. The coolest NES yeah. game, better than Nintendo World Championships. No, that's <laughs> not true. Nintendo World. We're not getting into this argument. We'll, <laughs> let me steer the, the, ar- we'll let, steer the argument. <laughs> No, we're not doing that. All right, sorry. Hey. Sorry to drag you into that, Dennis. I can keep look, I could I could go on forever about, you know, collecting year by year, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it just took over my life. It's it's all I did, all I cared about for the better second half of my life. It's still even to this day. And I can't ever not see myself being so immersed in it and involved in some respects some capacity or another it's woven into your dna at this point at this point yeah all right um so now let's i want to i want to know how you what you do like how do you go and make the leap from a guy who collects games uh you know to to wada and um but but first before you kind of tell us that like um maybe tell us what wada is exactly what's the mission statement and and how did how and why did you guys start? And then maybe because, and you can tell me if it's not relevant, but like, is your educational background, uh, did it wind up being relevant for you being able to start this background? Cause you're not, you know, you are a, a fairly well educated individual at this point. So, well, uh, you know, my formal education. Yes. But not, but also the informal stuff. So like, like what, I mean, you talked about reading up and like being on Nintendo Edge. Not just your formal education, but how did your informal inf- uh, how did no, that abs- inform? Because absolutely. I my game collecting led to me getting my job as an analyst because I became an analytical. Anal- I mean, I was an analytical person, and then I started collecting games and getting into databases and and doing research, and that just was stuff that was already inside me that led to a job where now people pay me to do that. Right. I mean, I, what I was going to say is my formal education has so little to do, I think, with, with how I got to where I am. So I would say 90% of what I've learned that's relevant to this industry um, is, is both from, you know, the being immersed in specifically video games, but being immersed in collectibles in general um, since I was, you know, five years old. I think actually a lot of what gave me knowledge was... Um, going with to shows comic book shows with my dad and seeing how that industry operated and and understanding the ins and outs of that industry and particularly you know relating to water the importance of standards and professional certification as it relates to that um obviously comics had been much more mature at that point than video games were 10 years ago um or even today but but that was the most relevant thing i mean obviously going to going to school, going to college and, and studying business, um, gave me the opportunity to, um, to apply, you know, learn about actually starting a business. Um, but even, even then I was focusing through my studies on, um, 
collectibles and 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 the dynamics of that those markets, whether whether it's coins or comics or whatever. I I actually didn't major in that. I majored in international business, minored in Arabic. I love languages. Spent some time in Jordan. So none of that. None. You know, I I didn't know for the first year of school what I was gonna do. But for the last three years, I knew it's 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 going to be something in in this this market because this market deserves not needs to but deserves to be elevated and and to to and this is a critical point about what we're doing um, to be elevated to this legitimate appreciation of the art and history behind it. So um, our our vision, by the way, for Wada is is really it's very simple. It's just to make the video game collecting experience a more rewarding one. Okay, and, and I'll say it a million times, you don't have to grade a video game to appreciate what we're doing or to, you, to, to, to be a part of what we're doing. Um, grading is such a small part of it. It's, it's really about sharing information, providing the resources we provide, and, and making the hobby more fun. So much of the information that existed during the I say archaeological times of, of video games when, when people were just discovering is now just buried in forums, right? And that stuff's interesting and relevant. Um, and so we're trying to shed more light on that and present it in a way that gets people excited again. Now, in terms of the, the art and history aspect, I focus on that because, you know, what it, it's the same thing that happened in comics. Comics were for so long until even the late 80s and you know they've been around since the 30s uh regarded as these relics of nostalgia that should belong in people's attics and basements and then there was this paradigm shift where it's like no wait this is actually like these are pieces of history you know you got captain america number one you got captain america punching Hitler in the face, you know, defeating Nazis. This was war propaganda during the war era. And it's historically significant for that. You got the, you know, Amazing Fantasy 15, the first time Spider-Man came out. Look at all these movies and these franchises we have now. That's where it started. Um, obviously, Action Comics, number one. And maybe if you guys want to bring up that Mario sale, we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about yeah, that because we <laughs> have we'll questions. <laughs> um, but honestly, you know, and I'm biased, but I think video games have such a more interesting and dynamic history to them. So much more dynamic artwork and beautiful covers. And, and peop the people who worked on these games, whether they're the composers or the story people or the, or the programmers, um, this is something that's ingrained in our society that's not going away. Video games are bigger than movies and music as an industry. And when we all think about it, it's like, that's what we played. So it starts at the nostalgia level, and that's what you know where video games have been. But if we can play even a small role in elevating that, the hobby to where people actually start recognizing it as art and history, it's only going to do the same thing that happened with comics. More stuff's going to come out, and more of that history is going to be uh, revealed and kind of it's it's a collective effort, you know, and it's going to make it that much more cool. I think because we've only scratched the surface, we've only you know this is still just the beginning, in my opinion. But I'm biased, so what do You're, I know? Well, I I mean <laughs> we share a passion there, and the fact that we on this podcast, you know, we try to be educators. Uh, we're trying to teach people as we going go along. We have an appreciation and passion for games. 
and collecting games, not just playing of games, but collecting and keeping these pieces and, and, uh, you know, knowing things about them. And that's kind of, uh, one of the things I, I like about WADA. I mean, I like a lot of things about you guys, but, and again, uh, it's that educational aspect as you guys are teaching us. And uh, we have a question about it later, but like that black box article you guys put out, that's a wonderful article. And as far as I'm concerned, like required reading for any collector, even if you don't collect Nintendo games, just like what you can learn from looking at that is amazing. So that's the work of uh, Kenneth, who's one of our other founders and he's our chief grader is his title. And um, he, uh, he, I mean, that's something that he put together in his own collecting over years and years, you know, compiled the, people had set the, you know, this bra- I don't know if you've, if you've heard of Braveheart, like Braveheart 69 on Nintendo age. Yeah. 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 Eric, Eric's, you know, the biggest black box guy. And he, he compiled, he did a lot and of game gear and game gear. Yes, that's right. Um, and he did a lot of the work to get to, to get there. Right. But, um, none of that was ever, uh, compiled and, and put in a digestible way to where um, it could be shared with everyone and everyone could kind of learn about it if they just wanted to read something. And so Kenneth also did a lot of his own work for years to add to that. And it's still not complete. And we're looking, you know, we're saying, look at this, go to your closet, see if you're, if you can find something new. I mean, if, if you have, if you have an area of expertise and you want to talk about something and, and, and share your passion for something, we want to give you that voice. We're happy to publish your article, you know, as long as you're not, you, you know what you're talking about. Um, and so we have a lot, a lot more in store that's just like that. We'll be coming out with more articles. We actually have a big one similar to that, that, that I find even more interesting. It's like third party hang tab. But again, some of, some of this stuff might be just way too, too, um, uh, niche, for some people, it might be too in-depth. People are just like, okay, I don't care about these variants, right? And that's fine. Um, but if, if you do care, it's a, it might be an interesting read. And it, it might, again, make that collecting aspect more rewarding. You go to your closet and you're like, oh, oh wow, I have a first print of this or whatever. Um, this was from the test market. I have an actual copy of something when Nintendo wasn't even Nintendo, really, you know? And so I think that that aspect is cool. And particularly, again, if we get into the Mario discussion... It's, it's about having a piece of history. It's not about having something that's rare, necessarily. You know? Yeah. And I mean, these kind of articles, these are what... I wouldn't... I don't care about 5-screw versus 3-screw until Nintendo Age told me it's a thing. And now when I look at a game, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty late 5-screw. That's kind of interesting. Like, no one would ever know about what's a variant or what's kind of cool to see out there unless someone has, you know, made a blog post about it. Like, Johnny's Sega CD... Uh, collecting guide that he put on Seg Age. One of like the only things I could think of on the caliber of the black box article where it actually shows you like, here's a picture of all these different things you can look out for. There's just, I can go on a website and I can find basically a picture of every comic ever printed. And that just never, that, there's nothing even close to that for video games. No, not yet. Not yet. And so that's, again, that's part of what we, I mean, one of the greatest things for comics is that it's like the Bible of comic collecting. It really transformed it. It's called the Overstreet Price Guide, or sorry, the, jeez, uh, the Photo Journal Guide to Collecting Comic Books. And it, it just has a photo of, uh, this guy went out and, and tracked down like every comic. It was like his life's work and f- imaged it and gave a little information about it. And like, that was the, it, this is before the internet, you know? 
So you had to buy that and you could just learn everything about comics. And so the same thing, you know, I know people put out books and all that, but we want to make sure that when we put out the information, I'm not discounting any of that. Some of them are great, but the more information, the better. And that's also what so much of what we stand for with WADA is it's the transparency is the name of the game, especially if you're trusting someone who are supposed to be experts with your collectibles that whatever, however significant they are to you. Um, whether, you know, it's the childhood copy you played of a worthless game or a hundred thousand dollar video game, you don't, you want to have that confidence that, that, you know, you know who you're sending it to, you know, what kind of standards they're applying and how they're applying it to them, to your item. Right. Yeah. And, and I want to get into that and we have, we have questions about that because I want you to tell people why they should trust you and we're going to get there. Um, and you've told us right now a little bit about what WADA stands for as a company, but uh, this is, does WADA stand for anything? Is it an acronym? Uh, you guys are a grading company, but I have people go, what, what does that stand for? And I'm like, I'll let him tell you. So please. It's, yeah. It's actually not all caps. It's not an acronym. Okay. Um, WADA is, is a play on words. And, and if you go to our site, we actually have like a Bruce Lee kind of image, whether it's kind of how he pronounces it or not. It doesn't matter, but he, Bruce Lee has this quote on water and how you should be like water, you know, like be, you should, you know, if water, if water crashes, it can flow, it ebbs and flows, you know, um, and, and that's the whole thing is that as a, as a, as a certification company, we're about transparency and we're about moving with the flow of the community. So, so much of how we operate is based on the feedback we get from the community. And I, and I'm going a little personal here, but the video game collecting community is like what transformed my life. You know, when I was 12, 13, getting into video games, I, I you know, everyone goes through that struggle. Um, and I found camaraderie in some anonymous online community where I could just be a name, just super NES man, you know? And I, I became closer friends with these online people than my peers, uh, who I hated at the time. <laughs> And so the community aspect is, is what gave me pleasure in, in collecting video games. And I think that it's what gives a lot of us pleasure. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be going to these shows and expos and stuff to meet one another and talk with one another and share stuff. So it, it, it's the community that gave me all that. And I think it's the community that can still give. I mean, if, if we just said, hey, this is the, we're the experts. We know what we're doing. You know, here's our service. Deal with it. That 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 just doesn't make sense. We want to create a service for collectors. Whether you're brand new to this scene, whether you've been collecting for 20 years and know everything, um, we still want whatever you get from our service to, to be meaningful. Uh, and so that's, again, why we're doing, you know, the articles we put out might be interesting to someone who's not even interested in grading something. And, and, and that's another thing, you know, I've said since day one, Grading is not for everyone. Certification is not for everyone. Um, nor should it be. Um, and nor should you grade every game in your collection if you, if you, if you do uh, want to try out, you know, certification. It's, it's again, we're, we all have our own needs and desires when we're collecting. And whatever that need is, uh, if, if we can help fulfill that in some way, we're, that's, that makes my day, you know? Uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, Thank you for giving that very in-depth explanation. Uh, I love that explanation. I love that uh, you guys are community stores because so many businesses do come out and just say, 
here's a service we're providing. We are the experts. Deal with it. And I like that your approach is that, you know, that you are learning and changing and growing as the community grows and, and changes and, and learns as well. So, Dennis, I actually I, I took away two things from that. I took away that the name of your business is founded on accent humor. And uh, so you <laughs> started talking wow. about all these communities. So I first I first heard of WADA on Nintendo Age because that's just where I hang out. I'm like, oh, cool. Some guys in Nintendo Age are making like a legit grading company. That's cool. But like where what communities are really embracing WADA? Because really, really all I know is Nintendo Age. But I know like YouTube is probably the biggest place where collectors congregate. And I know nothing about that. But like where what are the people that you're specifically reaching out to? besides the people I know about? Well, so it's, it's all over the place. I mean, we've been getting submissions, inquiries, people interested from that, that are just in the shadows, you know, they're not on these forums. They're not on your typical, uh, congregating place. Now, another thing, and a lot of what the work that was done in, in, in forming, uh, WADA was discussions we've had in ancillary markets. There's all these people, who for years have they, they they might focus on something else, whether it's baseball cars or, or comic books or action figures, but they played video games. They love video games, right? And they've always wanted to get into the collecting scene, but they just don't know where to start. And they're coming from these hobbies where certification is like, you know, you can't even be involved in the market without it. And so they don't know where to start. They go on eBay and half the things are reproductions. There are so many collectors that I know that have are video game collectors that have become jaded or disillusioned with the market because they go on eBay and it's like you got to sift through all this crap. And and you look at a sealed game, you might not even know. I mean, we just got the nicest counter or nicest resealed Chrono Trigger I've ever seen. It almost fooled me, you know, but but you you would never be able to tell buying this thing off eBay. And that's what the guy did. Um, so that that discourages people more than actually encourages them, especially if they're looking from the outside in, right? So through those conversations that I realized there are too many barriers to entry. It's not just, is it legit? What's the value? You know, what is this item? Um, all sorts of things. And it's funny because, you know, going back to the universality of, of video games, Mark, Mark, who's one of our founders, he, he was uh, the first employee uh, first of two employees at CGC and was president there for a while. CGC is the, for those who don't know, the biggest comic book grading certification company. And he started CGC in 1999. And he always says, and, and he, he grew up, you know, he's been in, involved in video game collecting for some time now. But he always said, he's like, I read comic books, right? None of my friends read comic books. I would just read them myself. No one even cared, right? He's like, I played video games. Everyone I knew played video games, you know, um, and and video games not only uh, unlike comics are are something everyone played, but it's something that was a shared experience in a lot of cases, right? You can't sit there and read comic books with someone else. Like, what are you going to read the story aloud to one another? It was a personal thing, right? And so that that uh, ability to share uh, that experience that all of this stems from is also what makes it so fun for people. Uh, it's like, you know, how many times can you go in and be like, oh man, remember playing GoldenEye? Oh, we would play, we'd stay up till, you know, 2am doing that or, uh, Red Alert, you know, we'd have LAN parties or whatever it is, you know, 
and and I think that that's again the foundation of all of this is that nostalgic experience that we all can relate to. I, I think that's an interesting point about um, basically the shared experience of video games, and even now with YouTube's and Let's Plays and people watching, people are kind of experiencing other people doing it, watching it, doing uh, like. I mean, the you don't want to say the younger sibling thing, but if you had an older sibling or someone older, like you'd have to watch them play games and then, you know, sit around with your friends and play games. So I think that's a, an interesting take I hadn't really considered, um, rather than comics, like you said, which are kind of an isolated experience. I mean, I read a lot of comics, have a lot of comics, and yeah, that's never something I did with anyone but myself. I just, you know, you sit down, you read a book. Um, so you you mentioned Mark from CGC. And you mentioned reaching out to other collectible people, but what kind of research did you do and what other kind of people did you consult before taking the plunge and creating, you know, your own kind of grading and certification company? Oh, sure. I mean, again, a lot. So a lot of the principle principles of, of how of our standards and everything, it's we took what so Kenneth's background, too, I should mention, he, he, he grew up coin, collecting coins and knows so much about that that hobby more it blows my mind just when when we talk and 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 you know that's a that coin collecting is what you know it was the first real collectible i mean there's a seven figure coin that sells like every week now which is insane but that's the 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 hobby that really started certification and um started the application of standards to a collectible comics are also Comics are great because there's a lot of parallels with video games, right? Um, that you can draw, but but coins are the father of it. So so Kenneth, with his background in coins, with Mark's background in comics and mine, we we took what worked in other hobbies, we eliminated what didn't work in our opinion, and we applied it to this medium, which is a very different medium, um, but. Uh, and I'll get into it, but we also obviously tested. We didn't just say, this is it. Um, but I, I say it's a different medium because, especially, let's take a CIB game. Let's take a CIB NES game, right? When you're grading that, you're grading cardboard, okay? You're grading paper when you grade the manual, and you're grading plastic. So you're grading three totally dissimilar <laughs> uh, items. And so it's like, how do you apply the standards to each one of those uh, in a way that makes sense? If you're grading a sealed game, and this is you know one of the big differentiators of our of our grading scale is you're grading the box, but you're also grading the seal, the cellophane, or not the, I shouldn't say cellophane, the shrink wrap, and and that matters for full transparency. It's like if I'm gonna buy a game, I want to know what condition the box is, but and what condition the seal is, because a lot of people don't even give a crap about how nice the seal is. They just want a nice seal. They don't want it to be perfect. They just also don't want it to be filled with holes. But at the end of the day, the box condition matters most to a lot of people. And again, that conclusion was, uh, we came to that through a very thorough testing of our standards. I'm not sure if you remember Johnny and Stefan, um, but we actually, you were part of our um, testing, our beta testing during uh, Portland two years ago. Yeah, we remember. We have questions. Yeah. Like yeah. why you didn't uh, make the box that we suggested, but you know whatever. <laughs> um, yes. <yeah, it's laughs> oh god. Um, you want me to answer that? <laughs> no, 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 no. We we are kidding. I I've just you I've been, had I've been waiting. Research. I've been yeah. waiting this whole time to get that jab in, though. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, oh, look, uh, we, we there's a lot of criticism, good and bad. 
after we you know tested all this stuff and came out with what we did at the end of the day our product itself um, is designed for one thing primarily which is security so the security features we have built in there the way it locks together as a tamper tamper evident item that's for maybe not video game collecting one year from now or two years from now but for five years from now ten years from now when again if you know if counterfeits are already rampant right now and if video games are going to head down a similar path of comics and, and growth as we've seen which might be inevitable might not you know might all crash down who knows no one has a crystal ball but if that's going to happen you know what's going to be easier counterfeiting a box and 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 seal or you know which is pretty tough or counterfeiting the 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 grading product right that you put it in the case um, well it depends on how complicated that case is right how many security features are built into it um, is it just you know a very simply put together item or are there things that deter bad people from trying to reproduce it? And, and unfortunately, there are bad people out in this world. I'm not sure if you guys realize that. Um, <laughs> in but, video games, people are making fakes? There might be bad I, people on this podcast. <laughs> I did mention Stephen. that I bought a fake uh, Game Boy game today, right? Today. Yeah, yeah, today he did. He, he, got, he bought a fake sealed Pokemon Blue today. Oh, well, that's fun. You know, I've done this. From same. someone we know. Like uh -oh. that's, well, hopefully so they didn't know, but yeah, I, it, it seemed like an honest mistake, but that, but that just goes to show like how these things can be, you know, bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold. And then, you know, after a while people don't even, you know, they have something that they don't even realize is fake and they're selling it to a friend legitimately. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if, if you can, if, if the, once the dollar signs are there, which I know a lot of people who, who have bad intentions are seeing those dollar signs, especially with this. Uh, $100,000 sale, their, their, their eyes light up, light up, right? And it's like, okay, should I spend hours and hours and hours trying to make a, a, a fake game? Or if I can, should I spend minutes creating a fake case? And if, if, if we allow that possibility... Anyways, so th that's, that's the design of the case. That's why there are so many security features built in there. So many, whether it's the hologram or matrix or the locking mechanism. The hologram, which by the way is present on a the the euro note it's the same kind of technology in there the hundred dollar euro note our technology partners are fantastic it's it, it was really funny watching them go in on nintendo age they actually create an account to answer some questions and, and just going like you know really if you want to see that oh i can redirect you to it after this but going if you want to reproduce our hologram then and and if you actually learn how or the matrix code then uh, you like you, you know you should you'll a be on the CIA's uh, watch list and b if you're dealing with video games then you're retarded. <laughs> you should just counterfeit money <laughs> because yeah, exactly, you should be doing something much more complicated than that. Uh, he 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 worded it very uh, tactfully yet viciously and beautifully. I thought it was funny, but um, yeah, I mean we went out of our way again because to do that kind of stuff because we see where this hobby might be going. And want to build in all those protections so that it's, you know. But we also built our case to be, you know, there's an archival blister that every game goes into. So that, you know, if you drop your case and it shatters or breaks, you drop it off a shelf, God forbid. You don't want the d game in there to risk getting smashed, right? So the blister protects that. Um, 
And then the, the 3D versus 2D label design, you can choose between the two, no extra cost. 3D gives you a little more information. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of meant to look kind of like a video game, sort of, you know, like to put on your mantle and it might you, you create a showpiece out of something. You can, you can have a piece of crap Mario game that you, you grew up, you played with your dad for hours before he passed, and it's just nostalgic to you. And you want to just preserve that, freeze that in time. Well, you have that ability, right? Just like you have the ability to do that for a really five expensive five-figure game. You know, we're not telling you how to how to collect, <laughs> right? Uh, we just want to give something more rewarding. As I said, I don't want to keep repeating myself with that. So I'm looking at a, a case right now. Like you, you have a business background. How do you design? Uh, you didn't buy this case from the container store. It's got like six clips up top. I don't know what's going on at the bottom. I think the bottom just glued on. But how? Where do you get a guy to design a secure case to hold video games? Um, it, it's a long process. It's you know, it's it was actually probably the the longest process before actually launching. And and we, we I mean, conception to launch took about two years. So Mark, Kenneth, and I we started talking about this two years before our launch. And and you know, all that process is also creating the standards, testing the standards amongst ourselves then going out in the community and testing it with the community so it's not it's not a crapshoot right how are we going to you know provide the proper details the proper information the variance the databases all that kind of stuff um the case design was also one of those lengthy processes and um it's just you know working with a firm finding the right suppliers doing it in a way that's going to be efficient on our end but also provide the collector something that they can actually uh, feel confident about and be proud to display. So, you know, there's, and there's always room for improvement. I mean, CGC, they've gone through like four different case generations and cases, all these PCGS, NGC, the coin grading companies, they, they, they all make improvements over time, but it was good. We, you know, it, it might not be perfect, but it's good enough, especially regarding the security aspect. And we're always listening, you know, we want to make improvements. I, the thing that kills me is when people are like, you know, are you grading earthbound boxes yet? It's like, not yet, you know, um, designing and creating a tamper evident secure case for, you know, means that they can't be custom, right? Necessarily. So the, the blisters are custom and, and with the blisters, as we come out with more, we launched with what's going to be the most popular NES, super NES, um, Genesis, uh, disc base or, or uh, DVD based games, that kind of thing. But we're constantly coming out with new blisters and new size and improving even that product. Um, whether, you know, in March we'll be coming out with a lot uh, 2600 in television, Game Boy, Loose Genesis. I just got an Outback Joey. I need to grade it. Not quite yet. <laughs> Damn it. So, all in the, pro but, but three to four months from now, we will have 95% of what, what would, could even be graded, uh, gradable. Um, but again, it's, we don't, we don't want to do it haphazardly. We want to make sure that we come out with a quality product that, you know, protects the game above all else. Right. Dennis. And you're not letting, uh, you know, great be the enemy of good here. You have a good product and you feel it didn't need to, you know, knowing that you can iterate and that you can improve is a, is a good space to be in. Dennis, just out of curiosity, uh, you mentioned, you know, things not being able to be custom in order to be secure. Like on some timeline, do you feel like you'll be able to be custom like within a certain like margin? Like I have like 
for instance, I collect 3DO, and there's like these specific jewel cases that are just a little bit larger than than another, right? So, like, is there like room for? Do you think there'll be room for variance at some point where you'll be able to kind of grade grade things that are are unique size within reason? Within reason, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the name of the game. If we can, again, if we can figure out a way to securely protect um, the game to where it can't be tampered with, it can't be cut open and put back together, then absolutely. I mean, it's it's something we're thinking, and, and in a way that, you know, where we're not spending more money to do it than the, you know, five, you know, we're, not, we're probably not going to come out with a Pico case, okay? Because if you collect Pico and you're dying to have your Pico games in there, I, I just have to say I'm sorry. Well, there goes my <laughs> dreams, Dennis. Just, see, just another reason why I'm one why of the Johnny... largest Pico collectors around, okay? I have a complete set. <laughs> and and now I know that you don't care about me, the Pico collector. Just another reason, Johnny, why you should sell me that set, see? I mean, we yeah. talk about this all the time. So uh, I, I've got some follow-ups uh, to some of the stuff you said. Um, you told us uh, you know, about counterfeiting. Well, that's a good reason to grade my game. But can you tell us a few other good reasons that we should greater games but also there are other grading other grading services out there right so why wada like why should i grade my games but specifically why should i take them to wada at the end of the day you know if 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 you go to pcgs ngc cgc cbcs if you go to these other services psa whatever you want you know that when you're sending your item in you're sending them into experts you're sending them into people who know what they're looking at and, um, and, and, and care more importantly. And, and I think that, you know, if, 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 if it were me looking from the outside in, um, that's what I would want. I would want to be, have that confidence, right? When you certify an item, you want to have confidence that, um, the people who are looking at your stuff know what they're doing and know, know about the, the industry about, Hey, is this a specific variant? Oh, is this a, an H seam or is it supposed to be an H seam? Is it supposed to be a V seam, an LRB seam, a sock seam, you know, um, where are the vent holes supposed to be? How, how do I know if this has been opened and resealed by a machine that someone bought? Is there color touching? Is there restoration? These things happen and you want to be sure that they can be detected. Um, now that's, that's obviously the primary, um, thing that that you know uh sets us apart perhaps i don't i don't like you know there's other services out there i don't like you know talking negative about any of them or whatever no i would rather you accentuate the positive characteristics of of wada and like what what sets you apart not their negatives right right but, i mean that, but you're positive it's it, at the end of the day it's 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 the expertise um it's it's the the people involved and and that we care and know what we're doing uh not to toot my own horn or in any way or any of ours, but we, we went through a very thorough process to get there. And, and, and then further, the standards that are applied, again, it's for transparency. It's knowing what you have, whether it's the specific variant, which matters. You know, if, a, if, a, if, a, if the one, one variant of Mario is $100,000 or another one is $1,000, I think that should be noted, you know, and distinguished. And, and you know, the variants apply to every system. They're, they're, you know, whether it's a Majesco seal, a Majesco game, or, you know, a made in Japan game. Um, that's going to be a, a, a big difference in price there. Some games never came either. You know, Chrono Trigger, Castlevania Dracula X. Those, those were made with Majesco boxes. So they're more, or, or made in Mexico boxes. So they're more fragile, right? And so 
if if there is and, and the labels are worse and there's a lot of issues right but even when you're applying the standards that needs to be considered right so you know unlicensed nes games are going to be graded a little bit differently based on the the boxes that that they're manufactured with being these really really cheap boxes than a regular licensed first party nes game just like in comics you know the same standards that that you're grading a modern book from 2004 is not going to be applied to a book that where the paper is from 19 the 30s you know if if the if the 30s book is a, is off white pages that's the best you can expect you're not going to get white pages on that it just doesn't happen right so knowing when to apply certain standards and all that kind of stuff it, it really matters the variants matter and then the, uh, like i said this the product too matters the security the matrix technology which we, we we're We've built so much into that, and it's not even, you know, released yet. But when it releases, you'll be able to scan your game. You'll be able to pull up. And by the way, you can do this in the middle of a desert with with our app. You don't like a QR code. It looks kind of like a QR, but it's actually way more robust. A QR code connects to the internet, right? And then pings to a database. Well, the matrix, you scan it, and the data lives there. So you could be in the middle of a desert with like a ten-year-old phone with a crappy camera scan it and it'll pull up all the grading notes the population of that game when it was graded <clears throat> everything about it connect to the internet and you'll see pre-grading photos so we take photos before we actually grade all the games so if it's a cib it has all the components laid out right front and back high-res photos um you can pull those up you can pull up pricing information you can pull up wikipedia links to like oh this is a mario game well what other mario games exist or Oh, Little Ninja Brothers is part of this whatever series. What you know? What are the other Ninja Brothers games? You know, just to again make it more interactive and more fun. Um, but again, security too. It just proves that this is what it is. And Dennis, do, do you guys have an ETA for the rollout on that Matrix content? So the app is ready for the scanning portion um, and the and the photo portion. So we should be rolling that out in about. I want to be conservative here, a month to two months, really, really soon. Um, in terms of the other features, we, we want to build it, for, we're going to be building them out after its release, such as, you know, add this to my collection to where you can track, you know, things you collect. Oh, I just traded this to somebody. They'll be able to scan it. It'll say, did you buy this game? Hey, Stefan, ping, did you sell this game? You say yes, and then it's added to his collection. So now when he signs into wadagames.com, he can go to his, his profile and that game will be there, and he can see That's all the stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then further, what we do with prototypes, which I should mention, which we're only currently doing it for NES and Super Nintendo prototypes, where we, you know, part of the, and again, part of so much of what we're doing is preservation. I think some of the stuff that, like, Cefaldi and Steve Lynn do with, with their preservation is fantastic. Um, and, and we want to do kind of, you know, as much as we can. If you put a prototype in a case, and you don't preserve the data, what did you just do? You just put a piece of plastic in a case where it's gonna, where the chips are gonna rot. And I've seen them where people have graded prototypes with like unmasked EEPROMs. It's like, oh no, oh, this God. is horrible. Yeah, I cringe at that. Um, but uh, we we dump all the prototypes, and no, we do not make them public. Okay, we dump prototypes and we put them in a secure database that only you can access if you have that matrix code. So as long as you own that game still in its certified case, you can access the dumped file so that you're, even if the chips rot, 
you forever have access to what's on that game. And we want to build that further and are working to do like, you know, you have your childhood save file for Zelda. Well, you can save that forever. And just all you got to do is scan the matrix and you have, you know, obviously you'd have to download it on your computer, and but you'd, you'd have access to it. And so that's awesome, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, it's, it's whatever, whether if you're a prototype collector, that's what matters. And so we want to cater to that. I think that it's, it's funny because, you know, people say, oh, you know, video games are meant to be played, whatever. Of course they are. And, and comic books are meant to be read. But <laughs> you can go, and, and I, I'm kind of changing a little bit. I don't know if you, you're going to ask this, but it just gets asked so much or brought up so much. If you read a reprint of a comic book, right, um, it's a different experience. You can read it digitally too, but it's even a reprint is not the same as reading the original copy. Well, if you buy an EverDrive, okay, and I and I I, I should be like an Ever, EverDrive advocate at this point because um, I have them and use them. <laughs> I don't play the games in my collection. You just it's the same experience. You put it into original hardware. I mean, uh, short of blowing into the cartridge, everything else is the same. It has more to do with the TV you're using you know, than the actual technology. We're in the 21st century. You, you can spend 150 bucks and have every game at, at your fingertip. So the whole argument of, oh, you, you know, you, you should be playing your games, you can now, you can play, you can, for cheaper than you probably would even if you bought the loose cartridges and didn't grade them. But um, you still have the ability to enjoy the medium uh, for what it is and then, and then enjoy the actual artifact for its art and history, <laughs> you know? Um, I don't know. Just thought I would mention that too. Yeah, no, I, I mean, for us, we are all about, I mean, uh, Tyler's more on the side of, uh, you know, he's, he's our representative for, for the players and, um, for the history there and, and how to, to best play. But I've always been on the side of, you know, uh, preservation and archiving the items. And then, you know, if I want to play again on an EverDrive, I mean, he, then I'll play on an S classic, um, I, there's a hundred different ways to play something and there's a hundred different ways to have the experience close to or near the original experience. And I mean, I could just put it in, put it in the hardware if I really wanted it to, but I heard uh, going back to what I asked, I, I heard a lot about uh, why WADA and it sounds like nuance and experience and knowledge are really uh, the key things you guys advocate. And that's, that's uh, some of the things you highlight in the way you guys grade. Would you say that's fair? Absolutely. And, and we also have an advisory board. Now, it's important to because this art, with the publish of this article, some people have misconstrued some facts. No one on our advisory board is paid. They're not involved with the day-to-day. They don't know what's going on at WADA. Okay? The only reason they're on the advisory board is because they volunteered to share their expertise. So if, 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 you know, if we get a prototype that the work that goes into authenticating a prototype is looking into its provenance is talking to some of the biggest experts in prototype collecting and being like you know have you seen this where did this come from tracking it and pinpointing that you can't base it necessarily just on what you see and so the people who serve on that whether they bring expertise in certification in general from other hobbies like Jim Halperin or, or, or some of the guys at CGC that are on our board or whether they bring some knowledge on specific areas of sealed collecting like Dan Maresca or Josh Byerly with his experience on prototype collecting. Um, and he's brought a ton of knowledge to us, Josh, 
uh, great, great collector and, and, and advocate of the hobby. You know, that's, that's the, you know, we, again, it's, it's, it's sourcing from the community. It's relying on not just our expertise, but the community's expertise. Do you have to clarify that these people aren't part of like WADA Games as paid employees because maybe Dan Maresca just sold the most expensive sealed game ever? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, it's it's like it's it's oh, it's it a fake sale, down. right? They're like, oh, it's just you're just pumping up their own company, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the grading process is completely anonymous, right? So when we get games and and when our graders are grading them, they don't know whose game it is. However, if you get a sticker sealed Mario and you don't know whose copy that is, then you probably shouldn't be grading that game. Same with NWC Golds. If there are specific markings on them that, that, that are historically known, and you don't know who that belongs to necessarily, then maybe you don't have the right expertise. I mean, that's, that's, that's my opinion, but it, 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 what, what, are, what are we providing then? You know, just it, it, great. And, and that's why I distinguish between we're, we're a certification company. I say certification because the process is... And, and not to sound, you know, uh, bougie or whatever you, you know, <laughs> full full of ourselves. But it's 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 more grading. Anyone can grade, right? You can send in your games to your grandpa, and he he'll be able to grade them. You tell him grade this on a one to ten on condition, right? Um, certification takes into everything. It takes into the security, the the knowledge, and um, the application of spe- a specific set of standards consistently. And that is so important. It's, 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 you know, consistent. If you send something in and you break it out and send it back in, you're going to want to get the same grade. You're not going to want it to bump up or bump down because the person was having an off day or, or they're just guessing, right? Um, and so that's why coming up with a set of standards that can be applied consistently was such a long process, especially practicing them. Um, and then when you train someone to grade, you know, they got to, they have to go through a really thorough process so that they can match those standards. And, and, and they're not a secret. I mean, we, we, we tried our best to have a visual guide on our website so that you go through, um, you can go to like, uh, what we do and then the, the, the WADA scale and you can click on every number and see a box cartridge and manual, um, of that grade or an example of it so that you can do it at home too. You know, you just, if, even if you're just curious, Oh, what, what is, how does mine fare up? I don't want to send it in. I don't want to grade it, but what would this roughly be? Well, you can go and do that. Uh, it's not, it's not, you know, perfect because, you know, video game boxes are three dimensional objects. So, you know, something might be messed up on the side or whatever, but it'll give you an idea. And then same with our seal ratings. Uh, you'll see what an A plus plus seal looks like versus a C. So trying, you know, again, it's just about trying to be transparent. Okay, cool. You started, you actually started going into our, our next lineup of questions where we were going to ask you about your graders. Um, so you guys have a, a set group of standards. How many graders do you have? And like, are there other specific qualifications they have? Did you get them from other companies? Did you apply standards down from uh, other collectible grading companies and, and just apply it to this? Uh, how did we get here? So what are the qualifications and uh, how many do you guys have right now, or is that kind of quiet information you don't want to share? It's, I, I, th- that's a little bit of, you know, quiet information, I guess, for the most part. I, I, the thing I can say is that every game that gets graded passes through, at a minimum, three graders' hands. So there are two graders, and then there's a final grader. The two first prim- primary graders will um, look, look at the items, they'll assign them a grade, They'll give their notes, and then the final grader will blindly grade the game 
and then he will, after he grades it, review the other two notes. Um, and sometimes, you know, things get missed. So during that process, something might come up. And, and the final grader will have a lot more experience than, than the, the, the first two graders. And that, this is a method that is used with all the biggest grading companies. So we're, we're applying that same methodology here. And that helps tremendously uh, in terms of, you know, uh, that consistency portion that I was mentioning. It, it, it creates an accountability also um, in the grading process. So I guess I, I hope that's enough. No, that that's perfect. That that's exactly what we want to know because I mean, a lot of this we talk about is trust, 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 right? Because if you and that's you talked about that as a theme of the company. If we're going to send these to you, how do we trust that everything's going to come back? And you know, I want people to you know I trust you, but I want other people to hear why they should trust you guys. And I think your process is really good. Um, so I, I have some follow up now and just like some more. Uh, kind of fun-ish questions, uh, lighter questions uh, about grading that, you know, I think maybe your average person is going to ask if, uh, you know, your average collector might ask and um, the guys can throw some of this at you as well. But uh, we'll make, will grading my games make them more valuable? Yes, Johnny, have you been on Heritage Auctions? Next question, are you crazy? Uh, well, <laughs> well, no, let's, but this is like people they don't know. Like we know, but people, you know, don't necessarily know, so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a great, look, the grade, the grade of something, it's, it's, it's the eye of the beholder, right? So everyone thinks their stuff is mint. Um, it's so funny how many, you know, cartridge grading is like one of the, the, the weirdest ones because you could have something that looks perfect, but to get a 9.0 on a cartridge is, is a, a really tough feat. I mean, that thing has to have pretty much not been played. And if so, it had to have been like an adult who didn't create any wear on it when he put it in his NES system. Um, I'm talking about NES games, you know, any, any, any system, but it's, you know, it's the, the, the se sellers have a reason to, to say something is mint and buyers have a reason to say something isn't mint, you know? So, right. Yeah. The, you're at, you're at odds there. Cause we're all trying to, you're all trying to get a price and I'm trying to leverage you and you're trying to leverage me. <laughs> right now, you, as the, as standards are more accepted by the community and we created one to 10 scale, it's very easy to learn, uh, 0.5 increments up to nine, and then 0.2 increments once you get to nine up to 10. Everyone forever has used a one to 10 scale. I mean, even on Nintendo Age, when, you, when I was selling stuff, anyone was selling stuff, it's on a one to 10, what is the condition of this? Okay, it's a nine, you know? Might not, no, someone might not say 9.4, <laughs> right? Um, right? But that's universally understood and accepted. And uh, you kind of touched on this earlier about the standards, but we use the whole scale. Coins use the whole scale. Coins go up to, you know, 72. Jesus, if I'm not right on that, uh, kill me. But comics use also 1 to 10. But a comic, you know, if you get a 0 0.5, it's just, it's like, okay, this is shit. Um, and anything less than that, there, you can have a 0 0.5 and you can take, a, 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 you know, a razor to it and cut it again, it's still a 0 0.5. That doesn't really make sense, right? Because it's like, oh, well, this is shit and, and there's shittier shit than that. But the, and that's like a bimodal grading scale, right? The, this is, this is a, a normal distribution. So your average is going to be, you know, somewhere in the six to seven range, but you can have the whole spectrum. And I'm digressing now. I, I, I don't even know if I'm on topic with what you asked me. No, you're fine. You're, you're, that's great. We're, we just want all the information. <laughs> oh, oh um, is it, it going to be worth the more? Valuable. Is it going to be worth more? It, it, as you've seen in other industries, and, and, and so, especially with some of these heritage auctions, 
people want mint. They want the 9.8. They want the 9.6. They want, there's a huge premium for it. I mean, in comics, there's sometimes it doubles going from 9.4 to 9.6 or to 9.8. I necessarily, as a collector personally, don't care so much about condition. But I completely understand that people do, and they just want the nicest specimen of something that they can get. And sometimes that's impossible. You know, sometimes there will be games that are so rare or so uncommon that you're just not going to get that. But people still want whatever the best they can get is. I'm, I'm, a, I'm more of a rarity collector. I don't care about, you know, having things in the best shape. I just want them, you know, if it's third-party hang tabs, sealed, kind of a, one, a, a really expensive thing I've been going down. I don't care if it's a 3.0, you know, that's, that looks like someone sat on it and, and then it got tossed through a tree uh, shredder and then came out the other side, you know, because it's still this rare piece of history there. But ev to each his own, you know, and if, if someone wants to pay more, they can make that decision based on the standards. It's not, we're not telling you how much to pay for it. We're just grading it, no. you know? <laughs> of course not. No, you're just, you know, people, condition has always been king and people have always been... Uh, paying for it now, we just have a better way to, uh, and like an official way, uh, an unbiased party providing that condition rather than like we you were talking about that buyers and sellers uh, meeting trying to meet in the middle on what they both think. So um, you've answered: Will it make them more valuable? Yes, potentially, depending uh, on how that goes. But um, are my and this was a question that was asked to me uh, by one of our listeners on the side and. Are my games easier to ensure if they are graded? Do you know anything about this? Because he was told that comic books and coins, if they've been graded by a company, um, that since it's like an authenticated body, do you know if that helps for ensuring for video games or if you have even explored that area? No, absolutely. Yet? Absolutely. And, and, and the, the answer is in time. The answer is yes and in time. To a degree, when you have something really expensive, especially because of the nation state that video games are in right now, insurance companies don't have a um, way of truly figuring out the value, right? So as we're more established, as with other certification companies and in other industries, there will be a body that uh, these companies can go to and and go to for resources. Again, if something is tied to a standard. Um, it, and this will also be the work of other price tracking sites of certified sales and whatnot. But at least there will be some uh, legitimacy to understanding that you have an item um, and it's authenticated. And it'll, every insurance company is different. I can't speak to the IRS. We're not appraisers. Okay, we're not, we're, We don't appraise. But there have been instances where people have said, hey, can you just give us a letter saying you know, um, who you are? And that you authenticated this and whatnot. And sometimes that's been sufficient enough for an insurance company to where they say, okay, we'll insure your NWC for 20000 or 25000 or whatever. So we're happy to, to provide at least our opinion and, and, then, and, and say who we are. And, and sometimes an insurance company will take that and say, this isn't good enough for us. Uh, because of the state of the industry. And sometimes they'll say, okay, that, you know, they'll do their research. They'll see who we are. And that, that works. And people have, have done that. So it's not going to be the be-all, end-all, but it can certainly help. And over time, as there's more data and more sales of certified items, it'll be that much more easy to prove. 
Right. And that's, you know, uh, the insurance, like if you've been in any of the forums and I know you have, you've seen the insurance threads and the mess those are. And everyone's always struggling. How do I, how is a better way to get these insured? How would it? And this is what all the other hobbies went through. They had the more things like water that exist, the more legitimacy that stands behind the hobby, uh, then the value is recognized and society can kind of take that. And it has, it gives these companies a credible source to just kind of ping off of so they can do their due diligence because they have other bodies behind them that need that. Well, exactly. Um, so what, what insurance companies really want at the end of the day, they want comparables, what's called a comparable. So they want the data. They, and, and that's the great thing about whether you like what's going on with Heritage or not. Um, Heritage keeps data of all their sales and that's a comparable. So an insurance company can go to their archive and use that as proof against what someone else says, you know? So the more sales that happen, the more data that's out there, the better for transparency and the better for insuring. Yeah. And better for us and better for the hobby. Okay. Uh, going down the list, we got some more stuff for you. Okay. Um, what kind of games do you grade? Because uh, you were talking about it, but is it just sealed CIB? Because certain grading companies only do certain stuff or certify, try and use your language. Uh, do you guys do carts? You talked about you do protos. So is it everything? Do you guys do sign games? Like what? what is the, is there any, like what are the limitations aside from like the strange box sizes? As, right aside now? from, if, as long as we offer the blister for it, you know, and that's the only limitation, um, we'll grade anything, you know, uh, the the CIB grading is by far the most complicated because even when we grade a completed box game and, and we have a couple articles on this on um, our our blog we, we we have designations so one is called the GSI which is a game specific insert um, so you send in a chubby cherub and you know if you have the the poster that comes with that well that that's going to fetch you a pretty penny that's hundreds of dollars just for that poster. So it won't factor into the overall grade, which is a weighted average of each component. So just just to touch on that, the box is 50%, uh, the the cartridge is 30%, and the manual is 20%. That came to be from, again, our standards testing. I I think you guys chimed in on that too. Obviously, the box is most important. But a GSI will be this insert that will list on the label. All the inserts that are present will be listed on the matrix, but on the label explicitly, um, the GSI is listed. And it will get a grade, but it won't wait into the overall grade. Uh, one of the other things, and this is where the expertise part comes in too, and, and part of why other companies might not grade CIBs because you have to know, you know everything you're looking at, is called an IMP, I-M-P, which is an incorrectly married part. So if you put a, a, an oval seal Zelda cartridge uh, in the first print TM box with a round, uh, a round seal of quality, I say seal, seal of quality, SOQ, as we designate it, that's an imp. That never came manufactured and packaged like that. So that was someone piecing things together that never came like that, right? So, right, right. you know, we, we note that um, because someone might not be, might an unassuming buyer might buy it and be like, I want the this you know as if it originally came and they and they they should know that well this is this shouldn't really be here. Um, we will go as far as labeling uh, the Nintendo sleeve, the dust sleeve, as an imp. So if you have a Nintendo branded dust sleeve in a third party game, well, you could only get that in first party Nintendo games, right? Uh, so that dust sleeve is an imp, and someone might not care. It's a dust sleeve, whatever, right? <laughs> um, but um, 
some people might. So again, it's about transparency. We're not telling you how much to care. We're just giving you the information and you can make your determination yourself. And I, I can I can give firsthand anecdotal knowledge about how good they are at catching that stuff because I know when I submitted my uh, Donkey Kong competition cart, uh, it had a mismatched back and I didn't catch it. And Wada reached out and they're like, you know, how, you know, what do you want to do about this? And so we ended up, uh, I ended up, you know, uh, marrying the correct back for it and then resubmitting it. But that was something that, you know, that's been in my collection for, you know, as long as I've been collecting and, uh, and I, I, I never caught it. Yeah. And, and, and people used to do that all the time. I mean, we, it's so funny. We used to, we're, we're getting color touching on boxes. People even back, I found out from this guy by Atari as he goes by online, Adam, Adam Harvey, he, um, he used to have boxes back in like the nineties where people black boxes, where they touch black ink to the box. You know, people were doing things like this even before it really mattered for the price. They're like, Oh, this back is poop. I'm going to switch it with a nice back, you know, and we're not trying to fuck you over. You know, we're not trying to just be like, Oh, sorry, you got the wrong one. We'll contact you. We'll let you know. And you'll, you'll decide how to proceed. But we want to make sure that you, you know, have what you wanted at the end of the day. We may have told people that they should definitely go over their black box game edges with a Sharpie to make them look just <laughs> ace. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely advice that we have thrown out on the podcast to definitely do. Hey. Wada will never catch you. They'll never know. Sharpies are your best friend. Also, yeah, you when you were talking about incorrectly married parts, you reminded me that years ago, <laughs> the, the dumbest thing, I went through all of my complete unlicensed games and and I took the shiny Nintendo sleeves because those are my favorite one. I just had, you know, like 200 loose NES sleeves. So every single one of my complete games has a shiny Nintendo sleeve in it, even though that's the wrong part because I'm an hey, idiot. Tyler, Tyler, I did the same. I did, yes. I, did, I didn't I I I I had so many dust sleeves at one point. I just got rid of all. I also got rid of all my Funko Land ones, which kills me because I had like fifty of those, and those are so you know the colored yeah, like yeah Funko yeah, Land. Yeah, yeah. Oh shit! I have thrown those out too. Are those worth something? Well, they're, they're you can't find them, you know. And it's like the things we did back in the day. You know, people were were just not mindful of it. You know. I remember Nintendo Age seeing pictures of people who put their cart collection. And they're like, look, and I got them all in Nintendo dust sleeves. And whether that was correct or not, it was just going, I remember going, well, shouldn't some of those be like clear? Also, maybe you can tell us what, what was the differentiation there on the Nintendo dust sleeves that had like kind of the metallic Nintendo? Ken, I, I wish Kenneth were here. He'd be able to answer that right away. Some came with certain games. Some came with like, ah, oh, geez, I don't have the definitive answer for that. Okay. I'll ask Kenneth. Cause I'm, that's a thing I've always, I'm like, which ones were they and why? What happened here? That's a question. That's like a long-term collector's question I've had. Yeah, he could tell you in a second. All right. I'll, I'll find Kenneth and I'll... I'll I mean, the sor- the, so much of the source of our expertise, obviously I know a lot about video games and all that, but a lot of the actual nuances of video games comes from Kenneth. I mean, his his knowledge is just is really unparalleled. Oh, yeah. He was talking to me about the third-party hang tabs and, uh, you know, our friend Eric and when they were... And uh, I think Braveheart 2 was going through and they were creating the list of like third party hang tabs and stuff and and how difficult it is to find some of those. And, and even more stuff gets revealed like, you know, of the hang, the third party hang tabs, there's sometimes three different printing. So on the back, they for the first prints don't have anything. Then like Capcom, for example, added this little metallic sticker that said made in Japan. Right. And then they actually printed it on the box. 
So it's like, I, I don't know what the whole rush was for that period of time where they're like, oh my God, these don't say made in Japan. Before we print it, let's add a little sticker on it. You know, I guess there was yeah. some reason they found the need to do that. Um, but there's all these little nuances, right? And, and, and actually the, the, the metallic sticker versions are usually the hardest to find. But yeah. Yeah. I, I've only seen a few of those actually. And I think I only have like one in my collection. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, Dennis. Yeah. Sorry, before we move away from um, what kinds of things you guys grade, I wanted to drill down a little bit. Johnny touched on it, but I wanted to drill down a little bit on signatures because of the three of us, I think I'm I'm the autograph hound, and that's a, a love that I that I transferred over into video game collecting from when I was collecting comics. And I know CGC does like a designated; they have a process for signature signatures, yeah. for signatures. It's a signature series where there's where you they have a, a witnessed representative watching this signature happen. And do you guys either have already have plans for that or yep. in the future? Do you think, yep. you know, tell, tell us about that. Hopefully 2019, you'll see our debut of our version of Signature Series, special label. And further, you know, we're working to get it so that people who can't necessarily get to a show can get a Mario cartridge signed by Charles Martinet or something, you know. So and and, and that's, you know, CGC has built so much of a market with that. I personally am not a huge signature guy, but I, I totally can appreciate it and um, see why people want to get stuff signed. And, you know, it might all of a sudden create an interest in these garbage sports games, you know, to a sport enthusiast who's like, I want every Madden signed by whoever's on the cover. Right. <laughs> um, right. It's, 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 it's in the process, it's in the works. All I can say is we hope to have something in mid to late 2019. How do you guys handle signatures now? Like, if I were to submit right. a, a a signed game by right. doesn't matter a signature on it, how do you how do you treat that? We we note it. We we we're not saying it's authentic, but we and nor do we take the we kind of ignore it in terms of the grade. So if you had a bunch of marker and it says like you know Thor or like uh, uh, Kevin. On, on the cartridge, it's like, okay, that's going to detract from that. The, that's going to affect the grade. But if, it's a, if, if we, within reason, can, uh, you know, with confidence say this is a real signature, um, then, um, like Kevin Eastman, we got, we got some Turtles stuff signed by Kevin Eastman. And clearly, like, he does the little Turtles face on it. It's his signature, uh, no pun intended, um, thing that he does when he signs stuff. Um, we know it's legit, right? And so we just say, you know, signed by Kevin Eastman on the label. Um, but it's, we're not authenticating the signature. That's what our, what we're going to release in, in 2019, hopefully is going to be, um, an actual, you know, it was signed by this person. It was witnessed. It was at a show or was, we're, you know, whatever. So I'm really excited. Coming soon. (laughs) I have, okay. I have a weird boner over that right now. All right. And this is something else that uh, Stefan is also our guy, most likely to get stuff uh, graded. Though I've got a few things for you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the actual process and, and like cost. So one, how much does it cost to grade a game? Are there bulk deals? Do you have like, cause I know some places have memberships. So um, like if, if I have a listener who has like 30 great games they want to get dealed, how do they get like a bulk deal? How do they get a discount? Like what's the, what are their, what are our options here? Sure. So <clears throat> grading starts at $25 for sealed and, and cartridges, um, which is very 
competitive, you know, if you look, you'll, you'll probably be paying more with other services in video games or in comics. Um, the, 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 the price goes up depending on either A, how quickly you want it back. So our slowest turnaround is 45 days, business days. Our fastest turnaround is same day grading. So we've gotten a few what we call warp zones where you pay $50 extra on top of, you know, if you're sending in a sealed squoon or a sealed, you know, uh, Super Mario sticker sealed, you might want it back right away. You don't want to send it out, NWC, whatever. So it's worth the $50, right, sometimes. And we, it, we literally, the same day we get it, we'll turn it around as long, you know, 24 hours from when we get it within. Sometimes it's less. And, and, and you can pay faster depending on that. There's 45, 15, 5, and, and one same day. If your game is over a certain value, it gets bumped um, to that five-day turnaround, the speed run. And that's due to primarily insurance purposes. We don't want to be holding on to something that's worth $20,000 for two months, right? Yeah, that's liability. That's basically liability. It's liability. Right? mitigating risk. That's exactly it. Um, completed box games are going to be more expensive. They start at $40. And the reason for that is... We don't, we're not even charging more than twice the amount, but it takes way more than twice the time to grade a CIB because we're grading three components. You got to take it out, put it back together, image everything. You know, there's a lot that goes into it, especially if there's a lot of inserts and whatnot. So that's, that's the basic breakdown. Um, in terms of bulk deals and all that kind of stuff, we'd have a customer loyalty program, WADA Perks. You can learn about that on our website. And the, 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 the WADA Perks are basically a customer loyalty program where as you submit more games, you get a better deal. Um, it starts off with 10% off lifetime. So every 10 games, you or it's like 9% actually, because every 10 games you submit, you get a free submission. We also have a dealer program. So if you're really doing high volumes, you get even even steeper discounts. And, and, and those percentages off increase the more you submit. So... Um, okay. It's like United Airlines, right? You you fly, right you get you get better perks. It's same kind of same kind of principles there. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to kind of illustrate that that was available for anyone who had that question. And uh, this is kind of like a a rough approximation. And if you guys can say it, because well, again, this might be quiet knowledge for you guys. Uh, can you tell us how many games you guys have graded thus far, and and how long? Also, like I should have led with this. How long has Wada been grading games as of right now? Well, uh, we launched in April at uh, C2E2 last year, so not even a year. Not even a year. Just about, though. Just about, though. Yeah. Um, what, 10 months? 10 months, yeah. We'll be setting up at C2E2 in Chicago again in, in March this year, about a month from now, March 22nd. Come by if you're there. We'll also be at Midwest Gaming Classic. I actually have, I'm putting my NES set, my full CIB NES set on display at Midwest Gaming Classic, just as a, just, you know... That's the first, I used to set up at that show when I was like 14, selling games. Um, so I have a long-standing relationship with them and I thought it'd be cool for them to put, just like at Portland, you know, I think John Hancock had his set on display and I'm local basically to Midwest. So I thought that'd be cool. Hope to see some of you listeners out there. Yeah. I wish I could make it. However, it's a bit of a trip. Also baby and everything. Less travel right now. Yeah. By the way, speaking of the discount thing, if any of your listeners, you know, why don't we come up with a... Uh, I'll do a ten percent off Johnny discount for anyone who wants to submit. Let's come up with a discount code. Just Johnny. Well, you could say Collector's Quest and bring my guys in. All right, but maybe that's too many letters. 
So you tell me what it is, and I'll, I'll share the code. Okay, let's let's just come up with it now. Collector's Quest, all lowercase. Okay. okay, I'll make it happen. Ten percent. Right. You go. There's a there's a, a discount code section. You type in Collector's Quest, and you know, twenty four hours from now, it'll it'll pop. It'll give you ten percent off. Now I can awesome. stop. Now I can stop using the Portland code. <laughs> That's still not disabled. Oh God. It's <laughs> uh, funny. Um, All right. Well, you hear that, guys? He's already hooking you up. So make sure to send some stuff and then go see them in Chicago. Anyway, so yeah. So in terms of how many games we created, we can't. We can't release that. It's in the thousands. I, that's all I can say right now. Okay. The, the, over yeah. time, we're going to be releasing a census, population reports. You know that kind of information will be available to you if you if you don't grade games. You can see how many of this have been graded. Typically, what where they fell uh, within within the um, you know span of all those games that have been graded. But we don't want to release a population report uh, for a specific title until it tells a story. Right, so if you're talking about Super Mario, you have Brand, to have a large enough sample. Have to have right? a large That's enough sample and, and data collection, and the tracking of variants matters too. So if you're sending a Mario three in, you want to know if it's Left Bros, which is the first print, or the Right Bros, or and specific ones of the Right Bros, which are later prints. Right. So if if we release a population report and it's three games and it says two Left Bros and one Right Bros, that doesn't tell you anything, right? And, and the conditions. No. But if we have a hundred. And you see, oh, you know, 15 are left bros and uh, 80, 85 are right bros. Well, then you know which one's probably a little rarer based on, you know, what people are sending yeah. in. Some basic numbers, yeah. Now that's just basic data collection. All right. Uh, fair that you guys can't go into that. I'm excited to see, you know, I'm a data nerd, so I'm excited to see, like, what the bell curve on some of this stuff looks like. Right. But um, let's get into some more fun stuff. Okay, so tell us... The coolest things you've seen graded, uh, rarest if you can, weirdest, and what your favorite is. Oh, geez. Um, we have seen some really cool stuff. Ah, oh, man. Where, where do I? I mean, it's for me, the coolest is stuff that I'm not used to seeing, whether it's like really obscure Master System stuff or like, you know, uh, uh, like um, uh, Sealed Crusader of Seni. I think that's really cool, right? Because... How many of those are out there, right? But for me, what what really I what tickles me is like pro, one-off prototype stuff. I mean, prototype boxes. I think those are like the coolest thing on the planet. Um, we certified like uh, that new kids on the block prototype box. I think that's like one of the most desired items I could ever have. The stuff like you know NWCs, those are always cool. But unfortunately, I've become a little desensitized just with the volume of those that we've been getting which I never thought I'd say. I mean, the first time I held an NWC gray was like, wow, this is awesome, or gold. Um, but I think we've graded nine now. Um, wow. So over time, you get you get more use. I mean, we've graded over 10 stadium events, so that, that's lost. It's allure. But that new kids on the block has the right stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of one, you know? So, so Actually... Dennis, now that you had mentioned that, can you speak a little bit to how you go about authenticating something that is actually unique? It, again, there's, you know, a lot of... Co provenance matters so much. When I say provenance, I mean the, the history of that specific item, right? Um, when, when it's something really unique, there's... We don't just grade it, we do research. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it, we get to the answer really quickly, 
and sometimes we don't. And that's also why we don't necessarily guarantee turnarounds that we honor the turnaround on some of the more one-off stuff because it might take us a while to get to the bottom of it. And we won't certify it unless we can do it uh, with 100% certainty. We don't want to leave any questions, you know, any stone unturned. So I, 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 I know that might not be sufficient, but it's, it's consulting, it's research, it's making calls, it's all sorts of things like that. No, I think that's sufficient. I was just, you know, you had mentioned that you'd certified things that were one of one. And I was like, oh, how do you do that? Yeah, it's... And, oh, go ahead. I'm just, you know, it's it, with, with the one of one stuff, it's, 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 it's very unlikely it hasn't been documented before. And if it has, it's very likely it's being sent from someone like an ex-employee or someone who knew the ex-employee or whatever. I mean, we just got um, the guy, some guy bought, he, he doesn't collect video games, but he bought a ton of leftover stock from the president of LJN back in the day. And like, it's like, you know, how do you authenticate that? Well, through emails, through, you know, how can you prove this? This is where it came from. It made sense looking at the stuff, you know, who, who has like tons of untouched stock of Friday the 13th and, <laughs> and MLB. Uh, baseball, you know, <laughs> and every other crappy LGN title out there. Not that Friday the 13th is that, that, that crappy, but there are, you know. LGN is not known for its quality games. <laughs> yeah. It's not something we talk about. Yeah. Um, okay, so this, you guys have been at this almost a year now. You guys did like a like a tour. You were hitting all the conventions and stuff. So what has the response from the community been like? All over the place, generally oh, way more overwhelmingly positive than I had anticipated. You're always going to have your naysayers, but I think when people get to talk to us at these shows, I mean, we, we ha we've had people, you know, pass by our booth and say, uh, you guys should be shot. And, and Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it happens. That's kind of extreme. It is. Yeah, yeah it is. And, and, you know, sure, I understand how you feel about grading stuff, sure. And not discounting that. But there are people who are just like, oh, come on, give me a break. And they'll stop and even talk to us and, and see that we really, you know, love this and care about it and, and, and say over and over again that we're more than a grading company and grading's not for everyone. And over time, you know, we've had the ability to persuade and change people's minds because... In, in, when you see the name, you know, a grading company, it's like, that's all you think they're about, right? But I truly, the biggest thing if I could communicate to the masses is that we really care about this hobby and someone's going to do this one day or another, the right, the, you know, in a, in a professional way. Um, and if it's going to happen, we want to do it the right way, right? Uh, by people who care about this stuff and live and breathe this stuff. Um, and if we can, if we can do it in a way that adds all this other stuff to make the the experience rewarding, then that's what we're working towards. So it's 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 a mixed bag, but overwhelmingly positive compared to how I'd anticipated. Well, that's awesome, right? And what you said is entirely true. It's going to be done, and if someone's going to do it, I would much rather it be by people who are passionate about it. People who this isn't just their outlet to make money. This is a way that the community can work together with other other passionate collectors to to get to something that's good for everybody it's a it's not a parasitic relationship it's a symbiotic one and uh, people kind of have to wrap their brain around that well and and a lot of that also stemmed from what i saw growing up in the comic industry which was the the guys that were the most passionate got bought out got pushed out um by the sharks right who saw the dollar signs and uh further the people who did the grading 
were not they they it was a business right it was a business model that was how are we going to make money doing this and cater to what you know the hobby or whatever um and and it's not you know disgusting or bad per se but it's just not it it's it's not what got me into collecting which again was that community aspect and i don't want that ever to be lost i saw it kind of dwindling too you know forums are not as big meetups all that but but people are talking about video games now again in a different light it might not be one that people love but even even just the fact that there's a discourse right this mario sale well people are talking about it and even if it's good or bad they're talking about video games and bring and more people are aware of the hobby now and you're going to get more collect you know if i was collecting 10 years ago or collecting today what difference does it make i care about it and i want to be in this hobby it's that much more of a of a sample size for me to share what i'm passionate about with with someone else who's passionate about about it you know and i think that's right. awesome i think that's great that's totally awesome and uh, you're right. These events, and we talk about this a lot. Like there are events that drive people to the hobby. When that stadium event sold, when the NWC goal, like every time these events, uh, even though like we didn't like it when uh, what was it? Joel's collection got bought for that or certified by Guinness, even though that was not really true or correct the way it was done. Uh, it brought attention to the hobby. It brought people in. So you have these events that that reach outside the hobby that go beyond and touch the, the general populace it becomes like a pop culture moment. And then that brings people in it. It like, even it like might just wake people up to something that they, they loved and kind of had forgotten about, you know, these moments happen. And how do people have these moments? Big media events like this, like the Mario sale are, are those kinds of events. And the hobby frankly needs it if it wants to keep growing. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, the amount of, response we've had just from people contacting us submitting stuff whatever it is through this one event is 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 overwhelming and it's it's so encouraging to me because i see these people are going through what i went through when i bought my first nes cartridge right it was like this relic you know that i was i, was, I mean I, I was there too you know you might look at my collection and be like you know i started with just some cartridges that I was like, I would organize like 40 different cartridges just in a bunch of different ways. And it, it, it just did something, you know, just to sit there and do that, uh, to put them in, to play them. I mean, I'm a huge, I, I still play retro games, uh, classic games, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's there, it's like this, this, that photo journal guy that I was talking about, that Bible for comics talks about phase one collecting and phase two collecting. And phase one is where you're just recapturing that nostalgia, right? You're going through where, where it's just it's just like this overwhelming emotional experience. Phase two is when you've kind of transcended that and get more into the nuance, the history, the collecting variants and all that kind of stuff and, and condition. But these collectors coming in are now in that phase one that, that we all were in at one point. Everybody's been there. Yeah, and it's it's awesome to see. I love it. I love it. Yeah, for me, like I walked into a play and trade when that was still a thing, and I and I saw Nintendo games, and I just said, "Man, I want to buy every game I ever beat." Like, because as a kid, I passionately beat video games. You don't play like I've beat so many video games; it's gross. I used to be 
pretty good back in the day. Pretty horrible now, but back then, like, it was my passion to play and beat as many games as I could. And I, I've talked about this, but I used to trade anything I had, like, all my games. I didn't care if it was a good game or a great game, because my goal was simply to beat as many games as I could. So I was churning through stuff all the time. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to build a big collection of video games and I, I want to have all these games I've beaten. And like just that moment. And then from going from there to be a guy who spent like a year looking at small photos online of cardboard Genesis boxes, trying to figure out if it can't, like I went from a guy who was just like, I want to play all the games I ever beat. I want to own those again to like, well, it's 2 AM. And I, I definitely think that's a cardboard battle to I'm pretty sure it exists. Let me see if it has a different manual than the uh, the clamshell. Like mm-hmm. there, there's a wide gap between those two people. But I made that transition, so you know, and that's that's I'm excited for everybody else who's starting their journey, and for those people who will you know go from that phase one to phase two. Right, and it's not look, it's not the same when I entered phase one when cartridges were a dollar or two dollars you know and you could get any game for practically nothing um it's a different you know and and yeah prices are going to rise and that's just that's basic economics of of collectibles you know the the supply stays the same but the demand shifts out you know if you took you know macroeconomics it's like the the demand curve shifts um and the the quantity supplied might go up right there there'll be more stuff people coming out the supply is not going to change however many were made are made but people are going to go in their attics and they're going to find awesome stuff Tell that to Capcom because they just released Mega Man X2 or, or X and uh, Street Fighter, right? Uh, through our favorite people, Tyler. Do you oh, want to tell them? Like, <laughs> I am eight bit ones. Yeah, yeah, those the some real bit, yeah. classic gaming collectibles. There, yeah. By our sponsors, sold out, uh, sold out immediately. Yeah, sorry we we have to uh, we have to shit on I am eight bit every single episode, and you just gave me my moment. <laughs> I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't speak to that. But, um, but you know, as the, as the demand shifts out, the, the, you know, the, on the y-axis is price. Sorry, x-axis. Uh, the, the, the price is, or no, y-axis, whatever. The price is going to go up, right? Um, and, and that's just a symptom of more people getting into this. And, yeah, it's not going to be the same as 10 years ago. And 10 years from now, it's not going to be the same as today. Um, but you can still, you know, we're going to change maybe our attitudes and, and our, our behavior within the market, uh, to appreciate it in a, dif- in a different way. And people coming into this, you know, they might spend, I mean, someone on heritage just bought that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for like a crazy amount because it was, no, se- it was mint. Don't talk about it. Cause I want one. <laughs> everyone knows Stefan because you don't, you can't really I mean a 9.6 a++ it doesn't happen yeah. it doesn't happen yeah. and and that was the first video game he bought and he's it was the it was the one he played the most and now the guy's like you know he reached out he's like I want to get you know the other games I grew up with and that's how it starts oh. right <laughs> for him yeah everyone has these uh transformative events and you know like I said uh, it's it's a long journey from walking to him to play and trade to making list or spending crazy money at an auction site uh, to to buy a game like that. So um, we we've been kind of referencing it the these prices and stuff. So let's talk about the biggie. Let's let's talk about that Mario cell, shall yes. we, guys? Yes. So uh, we have questions about that uh, first. Before we say anything about it, do you want to? 
do you want to tell us about that Mario cell? Is there anything you want to clear up? Do you want to address any? Because there's been people, you know, saying that, oh, you guys, it was an insider job and it's not a real sale. And but do you want to clear anything up? We did an episode where we thought we gave some good information, but let's throw it to you. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's some, some kind of high level stuff that, you know, I, I read, I read some of the stuff out there and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of misconception. Um, I think, I, I think the, the biggest things, uh, are that it was a, uh, a legitimate sale. B, we had nothing to do with it. The guy who bought the, who put together the deal on the buyer's side was all, had already bought a lot of stuff from the seller and it was then offered to him, um, during, during his other dealings. Um, another thing that's important is that there was another buyer. So it wasn't just like a hundred thousand, you know, not to mention that, uh, the seller had, um, said for years about this item, he wouldn't even entertain less than six figures as an, as an offer. Um, and, and there had been offers in the 50, 60, $70,000 range and that he turned down. Um, but the, the, the other guy who offered more after the, you know, it, uh, this was kind of getting together for the first right of refusal, um, was an individual and, and someone who is very prominent in the market and has bought a lot of very high end stuff publicly. Uh, another thing is that the guys who bought it, even though they're collective, they come from the perspective of this is art and history. We want to share this. It's a museum piece. So heritage auctions, every show they go to, they're putting it on display um, to share it with other people. Uh, so it's not just like being put away uh, to just make money on one day and sell it again. Um, I think those are like the, the kind of the biggest, the biggest points that, that have been misconstrued um, that are worth mentioning. Yeah. And. I, I want to throw out one thing. Uh, there's a word, because one of the buyers in the collective that bought it, the word is numistatist, and that is a, a coin dealer, right? That's a, a word I learned from, I did not know how to say or pronounce that word <laughs> when, I, when I read it. And I'm, I'm pretty well read, and I was like, what is this word? Uh, so if anyone else was struggling, I just want to throw that. I, f- I figured if I'm struggling, someone else saw that word numistatist and was like, what is this and what do they do? Because it doesn't sound like it deals with coins. I'm like, are they, I'm like, sounds like astrologist, but for numbers, you know, you're like, what, what is going on? A, a numismatist so. deals with numismatics, um, the, the study or field of coins. Kenneth would probably said those have words before, definitely. <laughs> what? Um, Why can't we just call them coin collectors? Is this that not a, uh. what's the video game equipment? We have to come up with some like, we have to coin, coin a phrase. No, but I'm bummed. Yeah. Stamp collectors have a weird name too. That, that yeah, escapes me. Um, oh, anyways, I, I just thought that was like a, a funny thing to throw in. Uh, but yeah, you, you talked a lot about that, but what's the, the criticism? Cause there's some other podcast that was like, this is, uh, you know, like you guys weren't the sellers. You, you're just the graders. It's the, like my big takeaway. You're just a third party who interact after the sale that you had nothing to do with it. You didn't help sell this. You didn't do anything like that. You were just the guys who took the game and graded it because that's your job, right? We graded it, sent it, sent it back to the guy, found out about the sale after it happened. Um, we do know the buyer, we do know the seller, right? The, the, the seller is on our advisory board for his expertise. I mean, owning the most significant sealed 
video game and further the most at one point significant sealed collection in the world i think that guy can contribute a bit to sealed knowledge right yeah <laughs> yeah he he's a qualified expert for sure yeah so it's 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 you know coincidence i guess if you want to call it that but it goes back to what i was saying earlier where you know if 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 we don't have eyes and ears within the hobby and know what's going on um then what kind of an expert does that make us Right, we should we should be knowing about this kind of stuff, but no, we're, we didn't play a role in it. So, I, I you know, I, I think one of the the interesting the, the the other thing is you know some people have quoted me of uh, my comparison of it to Action Comics number one, and I know Johnny, you have a lot of thoughts on that. Happy to address that, but I've I've been saying that forever. I've known about this game. Um, I've bought stuff from the the seller in the past. Uh, my the piece of artwork that I own, I I, I bought from him. Because he's like the only guy who owns original video game artwork, so I've known about this game, and it's it's always, in my opinion, been very significant. Um, other people just caught on to that. So I don't know if you want to get into that comparison, Johnny, or not. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I think we all have. Uh, I know Tower and I have strong feelings on that, but like, then then change your mind because my my slant is, I can go buy a Mario Brothers right now. I can't go buy. In action comics, I, I understand that this particular instance of Mario does not exist anywhere else. I'm not. I'm not saying like it shouldn't. I. I just like say the comparison falls a little flat for me, but that's not taking away from the uniqueness or the rarity of the item. That's not what I'm trying to do. I don't want to sound like I'm like trying to shift the narrative away from that. Um, but if you're talking about quantity and the ability to find it, uh, then sure, maybe action comics number one, but. Why don't you tell me why it is better than hearing why me? You're a better expert at this than I am. So you tell me why I should look at it this way. Sure. I mean, I, I just want to clarify one uh, thing that I heard you say that's a little bit of a misconception, which is that Action Comics one is like a million plus dollar comic book in mint condition. That's a that's a huge dis- thing that needs to be made cleared as a distinction. A zero point five Action Comics, a reader's copy, one that's falling apart, but you could still read. It's like, you know, you could get it for, you know, maybe today, like 20 grand, 30 grand, you know, which still is a lot of money, um, but it's not millions of dollars. And I yeah. actually have GP analysis pulled up here for Action 1, which is like the price tracking for certified sales for comics. And it's like, you know, 2.0, December 2012, sold for 175000 uh, 4.0, 570. And it goes up and up and up until you get to the... 8.5 that sold for 2 million and the 9.0 that sold for 3.2 million, right? So it's because it's the highest known copy that it sold for that much. Okay. So Johnny, I, I, that's my fault. I said that they can go for over a million and then you took it and ran with it and said, they'll go for a minimum of a million. And I thought of correcting you and I'm like, no one's going to notice. It doesn't matter. And then next episode, Dennis comes <laughs> on. He's like, oh yeah, Johnny, let me correct something for you guys. <laughs> No, that's that's fair. Our job in the community is always correcting other people, and when we get it wrong, we should definitely be corrected. Well, further, okay with further I mean, the, the the Overstreet price guide, the first one from like the 70s, which was the, the price guide for comics, has like a mint action one selling, you know, in mint condition at like, I think it's $7,000, you know? So it just goes to show how much the hobby has evolved since then. Um, and that was the most expensive book in the in the in the whole thing. I mean, if you talk about Detective Twenty Seven, the first Batman, arguably worth more. It's just not been in that condition. Um, but okay, in terms of why, and again, I'm drawing parallels between the two hobbies 
it, they're not perfect parallels, but they're the best you can get between one hobby and another, comics and video games, in my opinion. Not toys? Not toys. Absolutely not. <laughs> what makes... Okay. What makes and and, I, and there's a lot of a lot of reasons I can go I can get into that we could have a whole episode just on that but to break it down in my the Dennis method of what makes an item collectible <laughs> for video games there's three factors okay rarity is one importance or significance to a collector is another and then the third is popularity or recognizability. And the thing, the reason that I don't say NWC Gold and say this Mario, and the reason I say Action Comics is because they are the trifecta. They are the intersection, the perfect intersection of all of those. So you take Stadium Events or NWC Gold. It hits two of those. It hits rarity, and it hits the importance or significance to collectors. Stadium Events because it's licensed, right? Um, NWC Gold because it was part of this big competition, but. Talk about popularity and recognizability. If I go to anyone on the street and show them a Stadium Events or NWC Gold, they're going to say, what the fuck is that? Okay, if I show them Mario, they're going to immediately, the, the, they're going to start singing you the jingle. Okay. Right. Uh, fair. But well, I want to counter that once Dennis is done. Okay. Uh, sure. Do you want to counter it now? Or you want to? Yeah. Keep- so the recognizability part of Action Comics number one, every single comic collector would point to Action Comics number one as the thing. If you show... Any video game collector, you know, sealed sticker seal Super Mario Brothers, they're going to be like, yeah, Super Mario Brothers. They're not going to be like, oh, damn, it's the sticker seal Super Mario Brothers. I don't think it has the popularity portion of it is the Super Mario Brothers-ness of it, not the sticker seal Super Mario Brothers-ness of it. That's right. That's right. And that's where the that's where the perfect parallel doesn't exist, because the rarity aspect of that is in the variant. But you don't have variants in comic collect. I mean, you do, but they're not really significant. You have like a you know thirty-five cent variant Star Wars that's going to be worth a lot more than the twenty-five cent version, right? Um, and you have like printings as well, but they're they're not really ex- it, 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 that didn't exist in comics. So that's where the parallel is imperfect because it exists in video games. Variants matter in video games. That's that's I guess where where it there's a little bit of a divergence there. So. It still though has that factor where it's it's Mario. The rarity comes in in the variant aspect of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's and totally so fair. I, I I think I know your answer to this, but do you think that kind of sealed collecting is going to be where the high end video game market only goes and stays? Like I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but you know, in comics, people want you know super nice action one. They want the super nice amazing fantasy fifteen. Are those people ever going to filter down to like complete and box stuff, or is just this very very limited supply of sealed classic games going to be what people? That's, are a, that's a great that's a great question, and it's also where these two hobbies split, and where I think it makes video game collecting way more dynamic. Is that you have three different states: complete and box, sealed, and, and loose, that allow for you know the everyone to collect within whatever make you know they appreciate or or can spend. You know, so I don't think loose collecting is ever going to be where you're going to have, you know, a Super Mario Bros. cartridge worth $10,000, right? Because it's a first print because there's so many of them. So that's where the cream kind of rises to the top. And is that, but, but is, is a sticker sealed complete in box Mario going to be worth a lot? Maybe. Find one, you know, go, you can't, you just can't find them. And, and again, it's, it's not that it's got a sticker. It's that there's other distinguishing factors too, but it's that that was from the test market. You're holding something that was from the market when Nintendo wasn't even Nintendo. They they weren't 
an established nobody heard of them and and i think and it's that historic aspect that adds to it right but regarding cartridge collecting i think what is going to change is going to be the condition part find me a 9.8 cartridge find me a 9.6 zelda cartridge you can't i mean i've i've probably held a thousand zelda cartridges in my hand over the, over more than a decade and i don't think i've ever had a 9.8 pass through my hands because it just doesn't that, that game was played so much so i think if if, if a 9.8 comes up it'll command a premium just like anything else i think that's where the difference just a cartridge the, even you're saying yeah i mean it's 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 because it's a specimen I, I like i said i have held so many cartridges and you just don't find mint cartridges unless even even if you open a factory sealed game which we did during our testing to find, we want to like we were like trying to take these images and we're like okay we want a ten for the website, um, so we open I had like a bunch of millipedes right, um, we opened a millipede not you know no not crying over spilled milk there, it was like a nine point two because this stuff was handled at the factory, you know it had a big it had a ding on it that didn't put it in there so even a sealed copy might not have, I mean to get to the nine point eight and ten. Um, it, there were there are factors that are out of your hand that even if you bought, bought a comic off the press off the shelf never you know first got it and put it away it might not be perfect yeah and that's the same thing in like card collecting you could pull a card out of a pack and it doesn't mean it's gem mint just because you pulled it out of the pack exactly it's in any and, and again i'm not the guy who cares about that i'm not this condition freak but other people want the nicest one that's never been touched and i understand that so, I mean, I think I think video games have been unique for a very long time, and that condition hasn't been nearly as important as it should have been. Like, the difference between a pretty good box and an excellent box, except for the past few years, has been almost nothing. Like, oh, okay, I'll spend an extra 20 bucks to, instead of getting, you know, Mega Man 1, instead of getting it, like, complete, I'll get it super nice and complete. And you now it. it's really, really pulling away. You got it. I mean, that, it's, 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 that's what happens to every collectible, is that condition starts to matter but condition doesn't matter until there are standards that people can actually gauge it against right oh, man, so look at this businessman bringing it back what's that oh oh no 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 no. it's just it's, <laughs> no it's i mean it's it, that's that's what it is though that's what that's how people otherwise everyone's stuff is mint you know i have a mint one okay, yeah no it. one has, unless you have a basis to, of comparison you know that everyone agrees on then you know no one will agree and you're offering that right um, now, going back to the actual, I, I wanted to use Myriad as an example because Myriad 6 and 1 sealed, so much rarer than Stadium Events sealed. So much rarer. But why? It's not selling for as much because it has only one of those factors. It has rarity going for it. It's not important or significant to collectors because it's not a licensed game. And it's not popular or recognizable, right? So that that's what determines that price. But if you're really just about rarity, I mean, in, in comics... You have the Platinum Age. You have Western comics that are so rare. But nobody, everyone who collected them is in the ground or read them is dead for the most part, right? So there is and, – and, and it's like what are they? They're just, they're just rare comic books. They didn't create this giant universe, this Marvel universe or DC universe, right? Superman did. It spawned that. Mario did. I mean, Mario is arguably more recognizable than Jesus and, and Mickey Mouse, you know, fictional, non-fictional character, whatever. So anyways, um, I think what's really interesting, though, is that action comics is not even a good story. Like, it, it has Superman in it, but it's, it's not fun to read. 
but it is significant, right? Mario is not only yeah, significant, it it's like the best, quote, story per se. I mean, who doesn't love playing through Super Mario Brothers? How many speedrunners do you have reading Action Comics number one as fast as they can and pushing each other to see who can speed, speed read it the fastest? right <laughs> um you have this whole other element and that's again the parallel thing to video games whether it's the story of the game um or the gameplay right or the music everyone knows the mario jingle you have all this other stuff that makes it so much cooler in my opinion plus you add in the historic elements so once this starts to get recognized as history it's like it's the actual epitome of what created so much of the, it saved video games this game saved video games and not only that this is one of the ones that was a part of that it was actually preserved from that moment in history where video games were saved from this one game and it survived that in this condition too you know so that's my spiel on why i think it's not the action comics one it's better than the action comics number one. Oh, better oh man upping the ante on it okay, so we uh, need to play the national anthem <laughs> in the background over that well maybe you can edit that in right tyler uh, that that would be up to tyler but i will say i can't tell you how happy i am that the most expensive game is now mario i said this in the last yeah. podcast i'm so sick of talking about stadium events i hate it I hate stadium events. I hate stadium events so much because, again, like it has no nostalgia for me. It doesn't resonate on any level except my collector level, uh, like for rarity. Like, sure, it's an interesting moment in time for Nintendo, but Mario is Mario, right? Like Mario and Zelda are the, you know, two of the greatest tent poles uh, Nintendo has. Mario clearly being you know, the face of the franchise. So now the fact that the most expensive game is the face of the franchise, it's delightful to me. And I think it makes the hobby more interesting too. I think it makes it more relatable for your everyday person to look into. Cause before you just be like, someone would read like, Oh, I like video games. What's a stadium event? Right. Like, why is that? Why does anyone care? But now they're like, Oh my God, that's why everyone's blowing up super Mario brothers. What? Like you said, it's completely relatable. Everybody has a super Mario story. Everybody's seen it. Everybody knows it. And I, I think that's great. I, I'm, I'm very happy about disclaimer. That. This is my opinion. I really want to yeah. stress that, you know, NWC gold, maybe that's going to be worth more. I don't know. It, in my opinion, it might, it may be, I, I don't know if shouldn't is the right word, but considering these factors I mentioned, um, you know, I think I think Athletic World is cooler than Stadium Events, you know, the, and the history behind that, the, the actual first Family Fun Fitness, a sealed Athletic World, way rarer, well, you know. Yeah. Um, who and, but, and it, uh, yeah. If, if someone finds a case of Stadium Events one at some time, okay, what's going to happen in the market? Good luck finding a case of uh, Family Fun Fitness pads. No one kept that. That a case of those keep takes so much room, and that's the only way you could get that seal. It, it, it's again, there's there's so many parallels, but Mario changed the the hobby. Platinum Age Comics, you know, it's kind of like Atari. It existed before the big franchises, and was very cool to the history of it, but it didn't change the game. No pun intended. It didn't change the way that we, uh, you know interact with this stuff and the you know the way that it's ingrained into our pop culture but yeah it's cool it's mario everyone knows it i think it i i agree with you johnny i mean on that point
And I saw someone talking about the this kind of concept online that they see that there's like a kind of price limit on how high something like stadium events or Myriad can never go. Like no one is probably ever going to spend a million dollars on Myriad six and one because it's just not important. And you know, personally, I think that's great because I don't give a damn about sealed things. So <laughs> if someone wants to spend nine thousand dollars on a sealed not for resale Halo, when you know I can go out and buy Halo for five dollars, that's great because then I can collect whatever I want. And because games like Stadium Events and Myriad are games I hope to own one day. And if those games eventually don't go up to be $100,000, maybe it will be tenable to me. So, um, I, Tyler, I, I'm rooting for you, man. That's all <laughs> I can say on that point. But uh, I want to ask you guys, do you have any more questions for Dennis? We're, we're at uh, a lengthy period now. We've, we've taken a lot of Dennis's time and I want to free him up. So um, any last shots before we get out of here? Uh, Tyler? No, I don't think so, Johnny. Well, that's so weird. Uh, Stefan, you got anything else you want to throw at hey, him? Hey, I was wait, just wait, shocked. Wait, wait, I want to go back. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> stadium events or Nintendo World Championships. Okay. okay. Uh, settle settle an argument for us. Which is cooler, stadium events or Oh, NWC? this won't settle anything. Well, I own one of them, and I don't own the other, so I wonder what my answer is going to be. Oh, okay. yes. Hey. Here, here's what I have to say on that. I think an NWC Gray is so much cooler than an NWC Gold. I'll, leave, I'll say Correct. that. And, and again, it goes back. There's a history, there's a provenance to the NWC Grays. They were not a giveaway through Nintendo Power. They were a part of... If, if you find the competition significant, I would value that more. Yeah, it's not as rare, but again, that's only one of the factors. So I'll, I'll, that's, that's my opinion on that. That versus stadium events. Um, probably NWC, honestly, even though I don't own it. I, I will say that. Correct I, like answer. I said, Correct nothing answer. is going to get settled. So uh, Correct we'll just answer, move on to our Tyler next Tyler is wrong forever. <laughs> All right. Uh, this, every guest gets asked this question. I think we're just going to make this part of the spiel <laughs> that we do. All right. Stefan, any yeah. parting shots? Yeah, I do have sort of a, a probably maybe a larger wrap-up question, but uh, it was something that I wanted to ask since the beginning. Uh, Dennis, how has the recent like influx of like media attention or pop culture attention to WADA changed your business? Like, I imagine things shifted overnight, and I was just curious in what ways. Believe it or not, Stefan, nothing has changed other than interest, submissions, dealing with, you know, new people getting into this and answering questions, which I love doing for, you know, people that are in that stage one that we talked about earlier, but it's, it, 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 we're still, it's the same, same old, you know, we, 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 we put so much time and thought into the service and creating it the way that it, it operates right now and are constantly growing. But in our, in terms of our day to day and, and the way we do things, nothing's changed. Um, and and like and you took a a bump, right? Like you, more interest means more submissions. Like you, obviously, that had to help a little, right? Oh, I and mean, that, we're, we're their website went down. We're overwhelmed yeah. to say the least. Yeah, our website went down for a bit. Um, we put a disclaimer up there to contact us if you can't be having issues. Um, so yeah, obviously that's been positive and, and nice to see. Um, but it's it you know still the same old. All right. Well, I I want to. Uh, Stefan, first, do you have any follow-up before I end your question there? Uh, no. Uh, well, I, I was kind of curious also, like, whether or not you think, now that you've had the the one sticker seal Mario, like, are you expecting, like, more to shake out of the trees? Or, like, would it shock you if all of a sudden you had two more sticker seal Super Marios on your doorstep? 
Uh, it'll shock me in the sense that I know how long it took the, the, the person who owned it to find it actively seeking it out for over a decade and, and just the sheer rarity. We don't know production numbers. We know Nintendo's, you know, minimum production run was 10,000 10, units on something. So you can estimate, you know, for a, a, a test market launch, it was probably less than that. I don't know, maybe. Um, now, granted, this is the second print, so they'd already gone a little further than just test market in New York. If a MAT, M-A-T-T-E, sticker seal comes out, that would be, I guess, take place, uh, take the new reigns. That's but, the new Action Comics number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Action, it's action a, it's Comics a number thing. two. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but... um. You, you know, we've there, there have been people who have contacted us and said, hey, I've got, you know, I've got this. And, you know, some of them turned out, there was one guy who had a, the, the same version of the one that sold for 30000 That one sold for 30000 because it was, again, dead mint. But it, it, this one is really nice condition, has a tear in the cellophane, but it's the same print. It's still worth a solid chunk of change. And getting a lot of different people being like, hey, I've got this. And that's the most exciting thing is what's going to come out as this hobby evolves. Not for, hey, they're going to send it into us and we're going to make money off their submission. No, because it's that's more history. I, I'm waiting for that Nintendo employee who has unreleased prototypes to be like, hey, I've got this. What is this worth anything, right? And to be able to share that with the community, because that's what gets us giddy, some of us, you know, us collector nuts, is, is, is the historic aspect of it. So, um, we'll see. Well, Time will tell. Time will. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Anything else? I'm going to wrap us up. We're not going to do buying and selling today, sorry. Or buying and Buying, buying and selling? And what today. podcasts are you on? Today? I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, buying and collecting. Uh, we're not going to do that part today. Anything else for him, guys? So I'm going to wrap us up. Wrap us up, Johnny. I'm done. All right. So, Dennis, firstly, thank you for taking the time to hang out with us, to talk to us about your company and everything you guys are doing. Congratulations on the success. I'm also super happy that our podcast got delayed because we were going to have you on the week before, and uh, this pushed it back till after the sale. So that was kind of that was serendipity for us. So now we got to talk about the Mario sale. So that was great. Yeah, I mean, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to come on anytime. I, I can't wait. I hope we have our uh, other episode because at the end of the day, I'm still collecting and love talking about the nuances of collecting, what, you know, the display stuff. And yeah, I, I hope I didn't bore the listeners, you guys listening. And it's, it's, this is fun. Anytime. No, this, even if the listeners were bored, I wasn't. This was this one was for me, guys. This is what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, no, this was great. Uh, I thank you so much. And we're definitely going to have that episode. And for the audience that listens and goes, man, Johnny knows a lot about games. It's because people like Dennis and Kenneth are in the community. And these are so you ask me, who do I reach out to when I have questions? Because where do I go? These are the types of people I go to. I, I reach out to this collective of individuals where if, even if they don't know, they have the resources to find out. And that's how this knowledge share has come. That's, I've learned a bunch from them. So as an adult, I was sitting there learning things from a, a 14-year-old and just and happy to do so. So uh, never, never discount where good information can come from and uh, what it can grow to be. Because, you, Dennis, you went from a kid buying carts when... You're 14, having your dad drive you around on Craigslist to uh, a passionate collector now forming 
you know, a certification company that has a knowledge share larger than most, especially about video games. So uh, thanks for that. I appreciate well, it. Well, I'm humbled. And, and when I have questions, I go to Kenneth. well yeah i mean there's i mean we all know there's people we reach out to like there there's there are you know there are mountains of knowledge and then there are but there are peaks on those mountains and uh kenneth is one of those and you know braveheart who we mentioned like i can't tell you when i started collecting how annoyed he must have been with me all these questions (laughs) i kept throwing at him but graciously answered me every single time just like nintendo age messages just like oh here's another question here's another one because uh, I was pretty dogged with, uh, once I found out you knew something, I was after you uh, to steal your knowledge. But um, anyways, that's all we have for today, guys. No second half for the podcast. Went a little long. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. If you have more questions uh, for Dennis, remember we are going to do a second episode with him uh, where he will teach us a lot more, especially on his amazing collection. Go check him out on uh, Super Nest Man on Instagram. Please go to wadagames.com and look at that. Did I get that website right? Yep. And and any questions regarding this stuff, info at wadagames.com or just my first name, D-E-N-I-Z, Dennis. Yeah, that that is Dennis. That is your real name, right? Because That is the one that's on my birth certificate. That's correct. People, look, I'm with you because people are like, oh, John? No, it's Johnny. It's That's actually on the birth certificate. So... I'm sure you get Dennis all the time, and it's annoying. And you can do you can do Instagram and stuff too. I just don't respond. I'm not as good at. I, and I will be posting on my personal page more. Going back to Chicago for C2E2, I'm going to take a bunch of photos. So many new uh, additions to the collection. That uh, did Johnny tell you? I complained about that. No, I didn't tell him that. <laughs> no, no, I just I. It, it, it's it like think of me questions out. for Dennis. I'm like Dennis, you have all this shit. You're running a company. Post more on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will. I will. <laughs> Do our bidding. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks again. Been great. Thanks, guys. Can't wait to have the next episode again. We are at the whim of your time, so you tell me when you want to come on, and you can do it. And then tell Kenneth I, I want him on too. Like, I'm sure we, if you guys want to do a joint episode, because I would love to just have him. Maybe like the the black box article is cool, but if he wants to sit down with me and and the guys and talk us through like a lot of the weird uh, or like after the hang tab up is and give us like a summary of those two things, I would love to hear that. Awesome, and uh, love to have him I share just, with our audience. I just want you to open the faucet on him and just have him go on just anything. Sure, <laughs> like so we know something. Uh, look, he like when, in person too. He's so quiet and like, but he knows so much. I'm just like, how do I get this guy to tell me more things? <laughs> What's sure the secret, Dennis? <laughs> I'm sure he'll be happy to share all that with you guys. So uh, again, uh, good luck going forward. Let us know, and then um, I'm gonna. I've got some stuff to send to not you, but to Wada. So also you, and uh, I can't wait to display that for some of our listeners so they can see what they're getting into. Awesome, right. looking forward to it. And, Thanks, guys. And that code for and Dennis is gonna set that up. Ten percent off, guys. Uh, Collectors Quest is your code, all lowercase. So uh, look for that, and uh, please use it support them because they are passionate collectors who will support the community back. So let's make sure they're successful. All right. That's it for collectors quest tonight. Guys, where can we find you? I'm on a Instagram game TZ and Nintendo age default gen default G E N pretty much exclusively Instagram these days, uh, at Archon 1981, a R C H O N. And I'm at Johnny underscore I U on Instagram. That's it for the show. Thank you very much. Good night. Bye. Right. Okay, not you gonna can give, all not stop gonna, recording. Not, did Dennis give? All right. <laughs>
He well, he said his he said his stuff before. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 